Permit me to introduce myself. I am Snokenstein. Snokenstein? Yes, the snow monster. Perhaps you have heard of me? Hmm? I've heard of the abominable snowman. Are you any relation? Uh, my second cousin, but we don't speak to each other. Why not? He gave me the cold shoulder. <laughs> he thought he could take over the world, but I will show him. I am taking over, starting right here. <laughs> The curse of the devil. Exorcism, a sacrifice. Blessing or bestiality. The curse of the devil. Satan in control of the body and the mind. My love will destroy the creation. I swear that you'll find it. Welcome to the Nashy Cast uh, again. Wow, yes, I guess we've skipped a month, so now I have to remind mm. each other. We have to remind each other what we're doing. Yes, and all of you, who the hell we are? Hello, yes. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn, and we are here for episode 49 of the Nashy Cast. We're glad you joined us. A very special Christmas Nashy Cast. Strangely, Christmas. Uh, <laughs> before you made the suggestion that we cover this film, were you uh. aware of the fact that this film takes place in December? Uh, you know, no, because when I think of the Christmas and Nashy, I think of, um, I think that, well, not that we've ever watched this, but um, I was thinking that that uh, Buenos Noches Senior Monstro is the one that's that's kind of considered, I thought that was considered the... The kids' film? The kids, which I think it is, but I, I thought that that was kind of considered the kids' Christmas film, but hmm. but honestly, uh, yeah, that, that this one is, I don't I don't think that when we first suggested it, I don't believe that it, that, it, that it lined up for me. I don't think it took us too long to, no, I certainly didn't know it took place. Actually, I think I only thought of it as being a good one for December, just because... I think I had figured out that it was probably a family-friendly or kids-oriented or heartwarming film, but I don't think I actually realized that Christmas was indeed the setting of the film. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was kind of odd as yeah. I started to watch the film to realize, mm-hmm. oh, okay, so it's cold. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait a minute, there's Christmas decorations around. <laughs> oh, holy crap. Yeah, so I mean, it's just a uh, kismet. Yeah. You know, it's just one of those kind of nice little, uh, nice little coincidences. Very nice. So uh, happy December to everyone, or whenever you eventually listen to this. Uh, yeah, whatever. we hope you have had a, yeah, by the time you hear this, we'll hope you have had a, had a good, safe, and happy holidays. With any luck, you're alive. Yes, hopefully you because didn't if you're kill, dead, kill any to of us. your relatives. And, you, know. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't been locked up, and this is, the iPod is your only source of entertainment, in which case we're sorry. Yeah. But we're do they allow podcast you? listening in prison? If it is, then you can still listen to it. I can't us imagine that so. they wouldn't. I mean, yeah. I, what would be the? Why not? I mean, you know. But who knows? I mean, maybe mm-hmm. maybe you could accidentally, you know, maybe you could some fi- somehow find a way to smuggle, you know, illicit mm-hmm. materials into mm-hmm. penitentiaries through the use of the I. I don't know. I'm, I'm yeah, we are as illicit it. as it comes. It's gonna, it's gonna, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Of course, we define the word. We're illicit. contraband. Yeah, we are. We are contraband. Nashi cast contraband. <laughs> So tell us the tell them the film that we're actually oh, talking this, about. This time around, we are covering Mi Amigo el Vagabundo, or My Friend the Vagab- Vagabond. Mm-hmm. 
I think I got the Spanish right and then screwed up trying to pronounce Vagabond in English. That's pretty freaking Vagabond. 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 But then, well, I guess then again, in Spanish, Vagabond would be pronounced, or, or would be Vagabundo. I think, I, I can't remember the rule on, I have to look the rule up for the V starting at the beginning of a sentence, because I think it's usually pronounced as a B with a B uh, sound. Uh, uh. At any rate, uh, this is a 1984 film. Written and directed by Paul Nashi, with uh, Paul Nashi in a, uh, I would I would say, f- not necessarily a supporting role, but it's definitely not the lead role. Which that surprised me. I was expecting, I was just assuming that he was going to be playing the part of El Vagabundo, but he's I, not. I did too. I really kind of did, and it was kind of a bit of a surprise. Actually, it took me a few minutes to realize that's not it him did me underneath too. the makeup. Yeah, I did the so. same thing as me. It's like, wait a minute, that's not Paul Nashi. So yeah. Nope, nope, so nope. Nash has yes a smaller role, but uh, definitely a pivotal and important role. Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, he uh, he plays he plays what I consider to be one of the one of the stranger, honestly, one of the stranger uh, kind of uh, characters in cinema history, which is the extremely rich man with a heart of gold. He's the Daddy Warbucks. He's the yeah. daddy, He is the Daddy Warbucks with hair in this case, or a hair piece in this case. So. A, a, a very nice hair a very piece. Very nice hair piece. His hair the, is not with, distracting in this film. It fits very, it's very well done. He's got, he's got the gray at the temples. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he looks mm-hmm. quite distinguished. But you're right. He's pulling he, a Reed he, Richards on us. He's so. playing the person that you ideal, he's sort of the playing the ideal of the, you know, which unfortunately rarely exists in real life, of the philanthropist, the rich philanthropist, you know, the man who has is gotten yeah. wealthy Wealthy businessman who is, of course, you know, gives back to the, you know, still cares about the, you know, and his, and his man. Very, does, and his does very good works heart. with his, yeah, does good works with his money, you know. And as we'll as we'll see as we discuss the film, he uh, he also is is so kind hearted and, and well meaning that he actually has to take his own well meaning and good hearted wife to task for not being good hearted and, and well meaning yeah. enough. Yes, because so. she's good hearted, well meaning, but also a neuro case, you know, so <laughs> also a neurotic. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> but when they look like Julia Sally, you have who can complain? Who can complain? Yes. All right, this film is from we're, 1984. We're giving away too many too many things about no, the plot already. No, I don't know. The, the The beautiful thing about this is that we have some wonderful performances in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, boy, he he picks some actors. I mean, the, a lot of this cast is made up of people who like like have hundreds of films on the resume. It's I a very know. experienced cast and front and center. Uh, well, I tell you what. I tell you what. Let's yeah, let's hold I off. Guess, let's, yes, before right, we we're... start talking about the film, let's let's uh, let's uh, let's catch up a little bit. Um, of course, last month uh, the reason we didn't do a uh, an Ashy cast was that we sat down and did an episode on a Godzilla film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Troy, I, I've been trying to get Troy to do a, a, a Godzilla podcast of some kind for some time, and he finally came up with a pretty neat idea that's going to allow us to do four or five episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, called Controversial Kaiju. So last month we did cover um, the first in this series of podcasts. We we used it to cover All Monsters Attack, also known as Godzilla's Revenge, also known as Painful. <laughs> also known as Stock Footage Arama. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Stock Footage Arama. And uh, I found it amusing. We got some uh, we got some interesting feedback about that movie. And I think it was. Um, I think it was Blaze, uh, regular correspondent Blaze, who talks about how he saw that movie when he was growing up. Wherever, wherever he grew up, he talked about the fact that, that that Godzilla's Revenge was shown on television in rotation with other Godzilla movies when he was growing up. But that that with that one, they actually chopped it up and showed it in between other movies in like bits and pieces. Yeah, yeah. Which interesting. Which idea. may have been, as he put it, may have been the best way to see. I was it. about to say, I can actually see it being much more digestible doing yeah. it that way. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. well. 
Well, yeah, well, I was I was excited. I'm, I'm glad we've gotten good feedback on it. I'm glad people enjoyed it. Um, of course, you know, the big news this week is the news that Toho is planning in a couple of years to do another Godzilla film um, that they're planning on. Which is a shock. I uh, know. I, I don't think anyone... Well, apparently it caught everybody, including the Godzilla, the real Godzilla correspondence experts that covered, like August Dragon and people like that, didn't even see this coming, you know. But I think based on the success that the American Godzilla, this most recent one, has been in Japan. Yeah. You know, actually encourage Toho to uh, to revive their own series, and so uh, I I can't say I'm anything but thrilled about that. I think oh, it's yeah, going to be. I'm, I'm very excited about that because as much as I enjoyed and I did very much enjoy the the uh, most recent American Godzilla film, you know, uh, I'm always just you know the news of a new Toho film, uh, the news of the thirtieth thirtieth Godzilla film coming out. Uh, that's uh, pretty 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 jazzed about that. I gotta say, it's it's hard to not get. Uh... To not get thrilled about something like that, mainly because it's just... When was it they decided... When, when did they announce... When was the last Toho Godzilla film? Well, it was uh, Final Wars, uh, which actually will probably... 2004? That would have been about... That would have been right, right, about right. About I think it's about 2004 was okay. when that... And okay. uh, 2004, 2006, uh, probably... it's Yeah, because Godzilla 2000, that run of the 2000s... That they did, that probably would have made it more about somewhere between 2004 2006 is when they okay. did that, and uh, yeah, and yeah, at that point, yeah, it was uh, there, there was definitely no guarantee they were coming back with one at all because you know I think the 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 films had had again the last couple of ones had not performed up to expectations financially and so they kind of let it drop but I think again now it's they're apparently the interest in Japan they, they, with the new film has done great over there as it did everywhere. So well, I find to... that interesting that mm-hmm. it didn't do huh that it didn't do well that that the last few Toho Godzilla films didn't do all that well. I wonder if it's because they took such a radical way of doing those last several films, which was just to kind of each film is a as a direct sequel to the original well, God, well, Gojira. A couple, well a couple of ones from those I mean a couple of the ones we're going to do in our controversial kaiju series are from that series because that yeah. series was definitely kind of all across the map, you know, they were sort of throwing out whatever they could against the wall and see what stuck, you know, yeah. as far as some of the, uh, so that's, that's a couple of those are ones we're going to be talking about for sure, cool, including cool. Final I, Wars, you know. I look, I look forward to talking about those, uh, I look forward to talking about all of these, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, before we, we have a lot of feedback to get to, but I wanted to go ahead and throw this one piece of feedback up here to uh, talk about, the, since we're talking about the Godzilla episode we did last month. Okay. This is from Jason Spear. He says, uh, Greetings Rod and Troy. Ah, Godzilla's Revenge. This one disappointed me as a kid as I was already too old for it by the time I saw it in the early 1980s. However, like nearly all Godzilla films... Hold on, let me... uh, The computer is being weird at me. Um, However, like nearly all Godzilla movies, I've grown to enjoy and appreciate it. Seeing it this past spring at a Toho theater without subtitles made me appreciate it even more. There was a young child in the theater who got super excited and exclaimed, Manda, when the stock footage of the serpentine monster appeared. It was adorable. And I detest kids in theaters. Godzilla's Revenge is fucking colorful. Telescope insanity. Bullied, depressed, latchkey kid seeks refuge in sleep and dreams of visiting Godzilla and his son on their island home. The in-reality kid runs across two thieves whom he sets death traps for and ultimately defeats. He applies his dreams of beating up bullies to real life and is triumphant. I've got a few Godzilla topics for you and Troy and would appreciate your opinions. So here we go. Uh, The 2014 Godzilla. This film was not a remake or a reboot of any Japanese film, but an update of the 1970s American Saturday morning cartoon superhero Godzilla. 
Godzilla being escorted by the U.S. Navy. The military never actively engages Godzilla. Monsters always showing up around Ford, Ford Broody, setting off nukes. A 15-minute tugboat ride away from a major city mm -hmm. isn't a concern. There's no mention of Godzilla or his breath being radioactive. Please discuss if I'm, the cra if I'm crazy or not. Two things. Yes. One, Godzilla absorbed the radiation, didn't he? They mm. talked about that. Well, that's how they fed. I mean, basically, yeah. that's how these monsters how in the fed. early they days, they, they, there was they so much radiation, radiation from, yeah, yeah. In, in the earth, and then they had to go underground because they were only getting radiation from the core. So this is basically was their nourishment. You know, this is what they fed on, which is basically what they're, these two, uh, the two enemy monsters that are yeah. trying to breed, you know, are basically, that's why they're stealing these nukes because they're right. basically needing that as a source of energy to help them to breed. So the, so, yeah, so the, the setting off a nuke, 15 minute, 15 minutes away from a major city doesn't really concern me, mainly because these things are living off radioactive mm -hmm. nuclear energy to begin with. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one thing I, I think is that I, I know a lot of people sort of had a, I mean, I, personally, I thoroughly enjoyed the film. I was very impressed oh, yeah. by it. I've seen it three times already, you know, thought it was very well done. Yes, there are little things you can nitpick about it, you know, but I, I do not, to me, substantial. I know some people felt like they felt like the, the boat doesn't go far enough away from the city when the, the nuke, you know, detonates, you know, that it would, uh, you know, that, that it, it, well, my it favorite, at the time elapsed kind of thing. I'm just like, eh, you know, who cares? Yeah. You know, I just my, don't see it as my, a big... My favorite complaint is, al is always going to be, well, I wish there was some Godzilla in the Godzilla movie. And I was like, have you ever seen a Godzilla movie? Yes, yeah, see, I know. Thank you for saying that because... It seems so many people complain. I could feel it. When I first saw it, you know, of course, obviously I saw it on opening night, so there's a whole lot of Godzilla. You know, it's it's a, it's a theater full of Godzilla, Godzilla fans. Yeah. And, I, and, you know, and there's several times in the film where the monsters are just about to fight, and they tantalize you with it, and then they do something where they close the door on it, you know, and, yeah. and they take you away from it. And I could feel the frustration. I could hear people behind me going, oh, damn, you know. And I'm sitting there, and I, I'm just grinning, because to me, it's like the director's, like, winking at you, saying, isn't this the way, isn't this the way these films always are, you uh -huh. know? Then when all hell breaks loose, you know, when the stuff <laughs> when starts you get, happening. Yeah, when you get the 20 people minutes. People were just fucking, people were going nuts. I have not heard a theater go that crazy for a film probably since I saw Godzilla vs. Megalon in the theater in the 70s. I mean, people were going, <laughs> people were just losing their shit and cheering and yelling. And I'm just sitting there thinking, like, the reason you're doing this is because God, cause he held it back. If they'd given you this in the first 10 minutes... You know, then by the end of the film, it's all anti-climax, well, but instead it's if, just... If it had been non-stop monster battles, it would have been a Transformers movie and not a Godzilla movie. Yes, here's one of the things I said about this film. is The thing that impressed me about Gareth Edwards, the, the director, is he, he struck me as like a young Spielberg or Peter Jackson back when they knew how to edit themselves, back when they knew yeah. how to film a suspense sequence. You know, the thing that Spielberg used to be able to do so well, you know, is just like was the master of, of giving you just enough before they stopped editing themselves and their action and their scenes and their suspense scenes went on to just silliness, you know, because like like there's that scene in this new Godzilla where, you know, the the, the scene on the tram car where the hero, the main male lead there, you know, where he's trying to protect that little boy. Yeah. And the monster battles going around, you know, and the tram's getting just destroyed, you know, and the and the boy like is sliding down and almost, you know, he's having to catch him before he falls out of the, the, the out tram. Of the car, yeah. Before out of the train. That's the kind of thing that now, if Spielberg was filming that scene, it would have gone on for another like ten minutes, and it would have just gotten <laughs> sillier. It would have fallen off, and Godzilla's tail would have hit it, and it would have flipped through the air and landed on something else. And just you know, but it's like Edwards. It's like all this actually, all the sequences to me were just just what they needed to be. I didn't ever. There was yeah. never any point where I felt any sequence was like going past the point of making sense or going to the point of stupidity. And something else he says too about one about the the military not engaging Godzilla. 
which isn't totally true, but I know, it's not I know true, what he said, but, but I know what he's saying. Yeah. But but what, what I thought was, you know, at first I thought it was kind of odd that this is the largest Godzilla ever compared to the size of all the Godzillas and all the other movies. You know, this is the biggest they've ever made him. But I really think part of that point was to to emphasize even more that he's basically essentially a god compared to, I mean, like he's so far above humanity. Humanity's not even his. He's not even concerned with like yeah. he's not even noticing. And I thought, I, you know, he's literally here to just fight these. He creatures. really are. He, re, he we really are simply ants. Yeah, and and I love that one scene where you know, but the way that he does things, like the way he dives beneath the ships when he could have easily like wrecked them. You know, there's obviously yeah. some awareness he has of not being destructive, but it's not like he's a good guy in that sense. But he's just. He's just really where he's pretty much oblivious to our you know world. But I love the scene where he's he's approaching the city and all the and you do actually see the ships are like and you see the military you see the ships shooting at him and he's you know but he doesn't even retaliate because he doesn't even feel it. I mean it's just not it's yeah. not even enough to irritate him to be which I thought was really effective and it showed a certain oddly Japanese sense of humility in the in the face of nature. Which to get that out of a non Japanese you know to get that out of a I guess Gareth Edwards is British, He's I British, think. Yeah. To get that out of a British director, you know, was well, that seems that, was amazing that seems to me. more likely to get it out of a British than an American would. Than an American. American one would have blamed the French, right? You know, that's like <laughs> that's what we get from an American. Yeah. Well, no, for, uh, well, oh God, you just know, we you just referenced like, the Roland Emmerich. Yeah, no, I know, I shouldn't I, have. But we I've should have had just that. about enough. Of <laughs> yeah, <you laughs> mentioning that piece of crap. Well, no, I, my my thought was that I, I would expect a British director to be a little bit more thoughtful and to actually think things through a little bit better mm, than an American mm, director mm. who would essentially just be looking for the for a way to cut things in a flashy way so that it mm. so that it would be a nice you know a nice yeah. uh, sizzle reel for you know special effects houses and that's about it yeah so well i think that if you're he mentioned also the origin the story that they give for godzilla here i had no problem with it because one oh, thing one thing we'll find especially when we get into uh, and then when we're doing these controversial kaiju series the couple of films we talk about that are from the 2000s series uh, really really uh you know flip-flop the the godzilla's origins and you know yeah. and to me I love playing with Godzilla's origins. Yeah, see, it's that that doesn't bother me as long as you as long as you get the sense that they still love and respect and understand the character. Yeah. That's what you didn't get out of the film that shall not be named. But <laughs> but out of this film, you know, Gareth Edwards, it's very obvious to me that he loved Godzilla films. He loves the genre genre, just like we got from Guillermo del Toro when he did Pacific Rim. These are yeah. made by filmmakers who are not here to better that genre. Are not there to like. Well, they're not there to look down on the genre. Yeah, they're they love there the to, genre and they want to play in it's it. It's like Del Toro said, it's a, Pacific Rim was his love letter to Kaiju and Mecha Japanese films, you know. And yeah. so and and so I thought, yeah, I mean like I said, you know, there there are there are a handful of little things I might have done differently in there or, or, or yeah. for the film, but I was very very impressed with it, very happy with it. I, I and thought. I would just like to say that uh, J- Jason, I would have to say that uh, I don't think it could be called an update of the 1970s American Saturday morning cartoon with the superhero Godzilla because no one had a button to push. <laughs> no one had the call button. Nobody, know, nobody had the pager attached to Godzilla. And damn, so. no Godzuki either. What a disappointment! Uh, that's just, that, just that, only Godzuki. Man, that, that, thank God. Uh, let's see what else he says. He says Troy, this past summer, did you correct people when they referred to Godzilla '98 as the last Godzilla film, or did you just roll your eyes, or both? <laughs> oh yeah, you know, like I said, I will not acknowledge that as part. Well, when I when you're forced to speak about, well, here's the yeah, that tells you all you need to know about the two non-Japanese Godzilla films is this newest one I will acknowledge as part of the series. I will call it the 29th Godzilla film, but oh, the happily, but yeah. the 98 one, no, no, I will not acknowledge that as part of the uh, as part of the series there. Okay, says Troy, please talk about the evolution of your Godzilla fandom 
favorite and least favorite Godzilla films, prize Godzilla items, and other Godzilla topics until Rod turns off the mic and kicks you out of his <laughs> I home. I know. You know what? Honestly, okay, uh, look, look, I was about look. to say... Jay, I, Jay, I tell you what. I appreciate it, Jay, but, but I think we might save that for Let's maybe the next Godzilla the episode next, because, yes. yes, I'll be happy to talk about all that stuff in another form. I'm afraid our Spanish horror fans are starting to glaze over and go, what the fuck? You know, <laughs> here, so... Luckily, there's a lot of crossover, but yeah, yeah you're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. He says, uh, you guys rock. I greatly appreciate your podcasting efforts and misanthropy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Hugs Jay. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, he says, uh, yeah. by the way, uh, all the Godzilla movies are available on Region A Blu-ray in Japan if you're a maniac like myself that can't understand much Japanese yet will watch the films mm. without translation. Well, amazingly enough, we've we've got a... It's amazing how many, how much of the series is now out on Blu-ray here. I mean, we still have some left to go for sure, but in the last few months, just saw a slew of them hit here. Um, I have yet to purchase... An all-region, region-free, whatever, DVD player or Blu-ray player. I know at some point I probably will. It's almost like I'm afraid of opening that Pandora's box. <laughs> it's like I've got enough to spend money on right now. If I get one of those, I can't even imagine what I'll be finding out there. And so I still have yet to... I know you have the capacity to, to, yes. to do that, but I have yet to uh, make that purchase there. So I'm still not not susceptible to those temptations of what's been released in another in other countries so it's it's a controllable temptation especially once you buy <laughs> I can, a new car. I can tell them I actually didn't expect you to still have four walls around you once you got one you know still just keep the lights on you know I didn't you know I didn't think you but somehow you managed to restrain yourself enough to yes, pay the bills yes. like I, it. like I say once you buy a new car and you have that whole that whole new payment every month yeah. it's like yeah. oh, you know I don't think I'm gonna be indulging quite as much <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna get that you know uh, uh, that, that that you know Japanese Blu-ray of Hell of the Living Dead this month. Well, it's, you know, it's like I'm not going to get I'm not going to get the animatronic Planet of the Apes figure that comes in and puts the Blu-ray into the Blu-ray player for me. I yeah. mean, I understand it can yeah. also be programmed to make me tea, but I'm just I'm not going to spend that money. No, no, not now anyway. You're right, not now, not now. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe but, later. But it's, it's one more note in our missing misanthropy, you know, is 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 that speaking because of our misanthropy, you would, it, I don't think any of us ever anticipated that we would be doing two straight podcasts on films that were made for children, and we didn't plan it to work out that way. No, but we just true. did All Monsters Attack, and now we're doing my friend the Vagabond. It's like people are going to start. Are, are we're going to have a G-rated podcast for two? Which it's hard to believe. There's no fucking way. <laughs> <laughs> no fucking way in hell we're going to have a G-rated. Okay. Anyway, not going to happen. All right. Anything else to uh, anything else to uh, say? There, there are other things, but I think I, I think we'll uh, continue to save a little bit of that for uh, the next time we do the uh, bloody pit episodes on contribu- controversial yeah, because kaiju. those I will tell you day by day, hour by hour. My Godzilla, my life as a Godzilla fan without <laughs> without let up. We may have to uh, we may have to post a photograph. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, re- I recently posted uh, I recently posted a photograph of a few of my toys uh, on the blog mainly because. Uh, I was talking about uh, toys of my youth in one little brief blog posting, and someone asked, hey, post some pictures of the stuff that you have now. And I was like, well, I'll do a couple of pictures. And so I took a picture of uh, Cthulhu Claus. Oh, nice. Which yeah. I just have to do every year. He's, yeah. he's, he's out downstairs lurking about and making Christmas his own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, also, like, the the shelf over there with, mm-hmm. which which really just kind of runs the gamut. Oh, I love it. It's, it's, a, it's got a, it's a Martian from Mars Attacks. It's a Thunderbird. It's Union Jack, the uh, the nineteen the, the World War Two Marvel Comics character. Uh, my favorite Patrick, my favorite favorite Doctor Who, Patrick Troughton. And Gamera. Gamera. And I, every time I look at this lineup on the shelf, I'm thinking Super Team, Super New Super Team. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's funny is right above it are yeah. those 12 inch Planet of the Apes figures yeah. of uh, Taylor and uh, one of the Gorilla Soldiers, uh-huh. and right next to it is my. Uh, 
my uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman figure that'll never be taken out of the box. That is uh, of uh, it's uh, the the son of Frankenstein. I mean, it's the Frankenstein meets the Wolfman uh, mm-hmm. Frankenstein creature, which would be, of course, the one played by Lon Chaney Jr. Yeah, because yeah. I'm a geek. <laughs> I was gonna say, if you have eclectic taste, and none of them will get you laid. <laughs> no, 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 those. Not, not I'm in the wrong venue. Slash. Actually, Doctor Who will now because good chicks dig. They love Doctor Who, so Doctor Who will get Most you laid. Most Doctor now, Who so fans these days don't. Well, they don't. Have any they don't watch. I still know. I know that. Though. Well, yeah, I mean, all yeah, they're yeah, interested yeah. in is what happened today no. and last. You know. I saw, oh God! Can you? Oh, imagine, I've seen it all. I've seen I've seen season one. Oh, can you imagine sitting really? down and watch a, one of the British like low budget? One of those British. No, I can't imagine them enjoying it all. No, I can't imagine it. Okay, well, two more things I'm excited about, real quick. One is the the news that Keno Lorber is putting out Tales of Terror next year oh um, they are yeah um which i guess it's kind of a mixed i think we're kind of that's, wondering that's now weird, so we're weird. not sure what that means for shout you know shout factory's done the vincent price blu-ray set last right. two years so obviously everybody's hoping they're going to do a third one because there's still stuff that needs to come out you would have thought tales of terror would have been one of those so i don't know if that means that you know that that shout factory's well, not, that, is, not, it, that is odd because it's mm-hmm. one of the it's one of the corman poe films yeah. and they've put out several of those so far in the so, set so makes you wonder if, if obviously keno if keno lorber bought up some of the others but as long as they come out by a good company because keno lorber does awesome stuff too oh, they're fine yeah. so either way i'm excited about that tales of terror on blu-ray and i did hear recently and i don't think we mentioned it on the podcast yet there's a couple of uh, francos i think that severin films are putting out okay. next year I don't think I've seen a release date on them or, or absolute proof that they're coming out, but I did uh, get a, a notice. Actually, I think it was John Hudson was maybe the first one who told me about them, but uh, I believe that he uh, Severin is putting, and I can't remember what they both are, but the one I was really excited about is I think they're doing uh, She Killed in Ecstasy, which I really like that one That's a good lot, film. and yeah. I think they're putting that out on Blu-ray, so, so a couple of Francos cool. coming out. I may have been under the impression that sucker was already on Blu-ray, but I could be I could be wrong anyway. Yeah, I think that's the one that I think I could be, maybe I'm getting confused now, but I, but I was thinking that that's one that. that well, there's so, there are so few Jess Franco. Films. Oh, I know. It's how like, can how you can we not confused? keep them straight? <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, folks, all right. So we're, we're going to take a quick break, and then we will come back and dive into my friend the vagabond. White Zombie, a new novelization of the classic horror movie from award-winning author Stephen D. Sullivan. Available now in print and all ebook formats. Find it on Amazon, Smashwords, Drive-Thru Fiction, and other quality outlets. Also available in a special edition, including the complete movie script. Grab White Zombie before it grabs you. Details at sdsullivan.com. There are a lot of podcasts out there that do science fiction, horror, and fantasy movies, but how many of them are done by somebody who's been watching this shit for half a century? Hi, my name's Terry Frost, and I do the Martian Driving Podcast, a podcast where I look at silent films all the way through to movies from the second decade of the 21st century. I look at fantasy, horror, and science fiction, and talk about them, sometimes with the guests, sometimes by myself, but always with an eye to the stuff that maybe has slipped off your radar, if it was ever on your radar. So go to marsdrivein.blogspot.com or type Martian Drive-In Podcast into iTunes and enjoy a bit of decent genre talk. And keep watching the skies.
Welcome back to the Bob Clark cast. We're going to be talking about a Christmas story this year. Um, wait a minute, no. Are we talking about Porky's? No. Yeah. <laughs> All right. My Friend the Vagabond, 1984. Paul Nashie, written and directed. And I think um, before, we, uh, before we synopsize the film and start talking about it in depth, I thought I would go to Memoirs of a Wolfman. To uh, Nashi's own words here in his autobiography, mm-hmm. and uh, relate to you what he has to say about it. Okay, he says, um, "I had the idea of filming a melodrama with a child protagonist. Actually, perhaps subconsciously, what I was really trying to do was to recreate my own childhood in the form of a sentimental journey back in back to the time when I used to dream of avenging cowboys, the Three Musketeers, the audacious Zorro, or the fabulous Robin Hood." In order to find a child actor, we thought of putting advertisements in the papers, but then Julio uh, Burgos, I'm mispronouncing a Spanish name again, mm-hmm. he came along and suggested we audition my younger son, Sergio, who was then eight years old. This we did, and we were all pleased with the result, so Sergio became the star of Mi Amigo El Vagabundo. He was accompanied in the cast by, and then he lists the entire cast off, which is very impressive, and we'll talk about yeah. those as we discuss the film. Yeah. He says, My role was that of a tycoon with a heart of gold. As we all know, the rich also cry. Uh, that's a phrase that refers to a Mexican soap opera, which was incredibly popular in Spain. Yeah. <laughs> the rich also cry. <clears throat> this sentimental comedy did excellent business at the box office. I've lost count of the number of times it's been shown on television. The plot was simple, but I put a lot of myself into it. Yolanda Farr was an excellent Fraulein Ro- uh, Ronge, the, uh, the German Fraulein yeah, the German, teacher of right. the young boy. Uh, Alberto Fernandez played an, an unlikable friend of my father's, uh, a loudmouthed hunter and angler who used to tweak my ears when, I, when my parents weren't watching. <laughs> so that's, 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 a, that's, that's the character that yeah, she's played uh-huh. He says, uh, Florinda gave a great performance as his wife who was always getting on about how good she was toward the needy. In other words, he took a He's, lot yeah, from, from his childhood from people who grown up with. Yeah, I thought that. Yeah, that was very interesting. To find that out. And... He says. Uh, he says uh, she was an old maid. There was the woman who was an old maid who who claimed she was a descendant of El Cid. He says these characters were not wholly fictional. <laughs> <laughs> he says I got the basic plot idea from an Argentinian globetrotter who, at the time, was earning a living playing the accordion on the Madrid underground. 
This busker, whom I met while I was buying the newspaper, told me the story which I took as, as my starting point. The rest I took from my imagination and memories. Now, there's a few other things to relate here, but uh, let's go ahead and synopsize the film. Mm -hmm. uh, my Friend the Vagabond is the, the story of a young boy, played by Sergio Molina, and, and uh, plays a character named, oddly enough, Sergio. Sergio, yeah, that's a stretch there. <laughs> hey, when your dad writes the script, he can make it easy for you, right? <laughs> so, so uh, Sergio is this young boy who has been kind of adopted, probably not legally at all, right. by uh, a man who's known as the Duke, El Duque, who, uh, who actually has a name, but everybody just refers to him. He's, he's the vagabond of the title. Yeah. Now, and I didn't realize when first going to see this that uh, my first thought was, I didn't know Uncle Don Clark was in this movie. <laughs> now, that is, of course, an in-joke, but if any of you know my band's Secret Commonwealth, one of the members, Uncle Don Clark, is a dead ringer for the Vagabondo here. Except he the really Vagabondo is. may be actually better dressed. But <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, is Don listen to the podcast? <laughs> yeah. if so, if so, no, he's I would gonna, never say that. If so, he's going to tweak your ears. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so... Um, the uh, the uh, the the older man, the vagabond, uh, is a is a rather down at his heels, but not exactly. I mean, he's he's definitely poor, but he makes his living busking on the uh, around the city of Madrid. And uh, the boy comes with him, and uh, when he's not going to school, he's with the, he's with the older man all the time. Um, this has come about because the young boy is an orphan, mm -hmm. and uh, the the older man. Knew his parents, and when his parents died, he just kind of took him in. And it appears to be a kind of, uh, not exactly legal, but nobody really seems to know about it. Mm -hmm. you know, no, nobody yeah. in authority seems to know about it, mm -hmm. so that's mm -hmm. the way things stand. Mm -hmm. Well, as the film progresses, um, the, young boy is, the young boy meets um, a character played by uh, Julia Sally named Irene, mm -hmm. who is a, a very well... Uh, Wealthy, wealthy woman, uh, the wife of a very wealthy, well-to-do man, uh, businessman, and uh, he hits it off very well with her because essentially she dropped her uh, wallet, her purse. Yeah, and he returns it. And to he her. returned it to her, and didn't you know he didn't take anything out of it. He's an he's an mm -hmm. honest kid, and this really impresses her. And uh, she meets the boy, meets the duke, and starts talking to them, and realizes that you know they don't want any reward or anything like that. Right. And, but she really is touched by this, and over the the next few days, try she she wants to try to spend more time with the boy. She really enjoys being with him. But it's, it's a little more, and there's more beyond that too, because yes. she is apparently she and her husband, played by Paul Nashi, uh, en Enrique, is it is it, is it, what's his name in the uh, movie? Enrique. Um, Enrique have uh, have lost a child apparently at some point. Yes. Uh, that, and that she apparently, uh, yeah. yeah, and uh, sadly, whatever caused them to lose the child. Uh, means that sadly she cannot Irene can't have mm -hmm. children anymore. So they're not mm -hmm. they're they're a childless couple. They don't want to be childless, and mm -hmm. it's unfortunately going to be that way for them. Mm -hmm. So she begins to spend more time with Sergio. Really enjoys him, wants to be around him more and more, to the point where he starts to stay. They they have a room for him in their in, in their own in their house, and he sometimes stays overnight with them and things of that mm -hmm. nature. Mm -hmm. To the point where the Duke begins to realize that they may try to take the boy away from her. And that is actually what does finally occur to Irene. She she's like, I want I want to raise him, I want to keep him here. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And we you know we could give him a much better life and mm-hmm. uh, send him, you know send him to a good school and all these kinds of things. He could get a great education. And uh, this is where you would think mm-hmm. if if this were your standard American-made movie, mm-hmm. this is where we would suddenly have protagonist and antagonist. In other words, you would have the the uh, rich people being portrayed probably poorly as, mm-hmm. as bad mm-hmm. people who mm-hmm. are attempting to mm-hmm. to woo this child away with mm-hmm. you know riches and clothing and toys and whatever mm-hmm. and the the poor man being the good guy who just doesn't have any money right Nashi does not play that show no, he doesn't he, he does doesn't. not do that everybody involved wants what's best for this kid and right. it's just a question of what is best for the kid, yeah. regardless of how emotionally traumatizing that may be for the adults involved. Right. So the Duke... Because emotionally, you might not want to see the boy and the Duke separated, but intellectually, you know it would be that, better. yeah, they're not living in a realistic situation, you know. No, this kid can't keep living this way. Right. Yeah. Now, um, Nashi's character, the, uh, the, husband, the husband of Irene... Enrique, he goes, and he really is, he he's really is quite the benevolent character. He's very respectful to yeah. the, Duke, the Duke. He, 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 do, he does not disrespect him in any right, way. As a matter right. of fact, he treats him very, very well in this whole process and talks mm. to him, and they mm-hmm. come to an agreement, even though it's clear that Enrique's not really, he doesn't like doing this because he knows that he is essentially taking this kid from mm-hmm. a, a man who has been an incredibly good caregiver mm-hmm. to the child. But, um... They do agree. This is you know this is the best. This is for mm-hmm. the best. This is what we. This is what ought to happen. And of course, the Duke can visit him anytime he wants. Mm-hmm. So time passes. A few day, a few weeks pass, and um, we realize it's near Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are Christmas decorations around, things like that. But Christmas never really enters into the story. Yeah, there's never actually like a scene at a Christmas party as yeah. such, or it's never right. Drew, it's always sort of there in the background, but yeah. And because it's almost just as if the film were shot at that time of year, mm-hmm. in a way. But mm-hmm. it, it is kind of neat to have it as a background for what's occurring, because this is such a such a heartfelt story. Well, since this is a movie, mm-hmm. and we... we don't have a, a protagonist antagonist set up within the structure of the caregivers for the child. We do have to have antagonists. Yeah, well, especially for it to be an hour and a half film. Had this exactly. Been, had this been like an hour long special, you probably could have stopped the story right where you're at. Yeah, but, yeah, you're good. But we need an extra thirty minutes, so uh, yeah. You gotta have something in here. <laughs> so early on in the film, we 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 find that uh, there's this group of uh, this group of three kind of. Uh, Punk scumbags. They're the classic Nashy punk scumbags. Yeah, they really are. Leather jackets. If, although I'd say they're actually actually a little more realistic than the ones in my, in Night of the Executioner, which is too bad because <laughs> you know that film was the much more serious and grim film. But I think these hoods are actually slightly more slightly more realistic, realistic than right. those were. You know? Well, they've uh, they've been going around and kind of roughing up the buskers uh, mm-hmm. on the uh, on the underground line and uh, stealing stealing money from them and things like that. Until the Duke takes it upon himself to uh, kick their ass, which mm-hmm. he apparently mm-hmm. rather handily does. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as you can figure out, those are the kind of things that will come back to haunt yeah. you in a film mm-hmm. like this. Once again, Nashi doesn't take the easy way out, you know. And uh, no, this, this no. is not a Lombre Lobo film where you know, uh, you know, where, where <laughs> Valdemar just beats up everybody left and right. You know, this is no, in no, this no. Case. That, that does come. That does come back to be a problem later in the movie. And how that comes back to be a problem later in the movie is. The uh, the as Sergio uh, is now seen by them 
well, they they spot him with mm. you know wearing nice clothes and being mm. driven around by someone and this mm. that and the other and they realize hey that's the same kid that was with the duke mm. and now he's with these rich people they get the brainstorm to kidnap this kid and make some make mm. some quick hard cash from mm. these rich people who are now his adopted parents mm-hmm. so that's the uh, the crux of the final act of the movie which is um who's going who's going to live and who's going to die and is the kid going to get back, you know, get back home safe and sound, or is something horrendously horrible going to happen? Mm-hmm. And I, I and I love the fact that the leader of the group goes by the nickname the Punk, you know, which just I, I just love that, it's you know. Punk. <laughs> just in case you couldn't tell from his leather jacket, you know, and his, his, <laughs> and his you know, and his nasty demeanor. Yeah, his nasty. He's yeah. So we have the Duke versus the Punk, you know, which is pretty good. So. It's like in case you hadn't picked up on him beating up on yeah. old men and taking money yeah. from them as yeah. <laughs> him being some kind of bastard. Let's just call him Punk. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that is that is the that is the broad outline of the movie, and mm-hmm. uh, now let's talk about details. Mm-hmm. First, I want to say that it did take me a few minutes to realize that the lead actor playing the Duke mm-hmm. is not Paul Nashie in some form of makeup. Same here. But the name of the actor playing him and playing him extremely well. Oh, he does a fantastic job. Is Jose Luis Lopez Vasquez. Mm-hmm. I'm probably missing. Is that enough names? Name. Yeah, we need a few more names. At any rate, this actor is. He uh, he worked again with Nashi in uh, Operation Mantis. Several of these, yeah, several of this cast were, were worked with him also in Operation Mantis. So. But that really does not give you any idea oh of gosh, just how yeah. prolific this guy was. No IMDb lists 259 credits. 259 for, people. 259 credits for him. Stretching. It's even more than Victor Israel. I know. Well, it stretches all the way back to uh, 1952. Mm-hmm. Um. Some uncredited roles in the early, well, the mid fifties, but a solid, no joke career starting mm-hmm. in the fifties, mm-hmm. all the way up to uh, two thousand and seven. Yeah, when yeah. he uh, when he ret- apparently retired, he he, he passed away November the second, two thousand and nine. Mm-hmm. So he made two films with uh, with Nashi. This one being the the better of the two, considering what we think of Operation Magic, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he is. Exceptional in this. Yeah. Uh, his career originally started uh, on the screen as kind of a comedic actor, uh, but by this time in his life, he was doing more uh, more character roles. And um, this, th- you can see in some of the some of the more amusing moments between him and Sergio on screen, how this guy was could, could clearly be a good comedic actor. He's got some, he's got some really yeah. good, uh, mm-hmm. he's got some really good, uh, facial features and, mm-hmm. uh, just body language for the kind of comedic roles that wouldn't mm-hmm. be over the top in any way, shape or form, but would be, would be just a few notches below broadly comic. Mm-hmm. But here he turns his hand to dramatic roles. I've not seen him in anything other than the right. two movies that he right. did with Nashi, but my God, he's good in this movie. He is. He is. Does a great job. Now, but the real surprise to me, yeah, is uh, in the starring role of uh, Sergio Sergio Molina. Besides, mm-hmm. at the age of now, Sergio claims he was seven when this was made, and his father in his book claims he was eight. Mm-hmm. But um, whatever age he was, he was one cute kid. He was. He was. <laughs> he he's, really he's was. Really, he ends up being very well cast for this role. I mean, he's 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 very he's, good, and he's effective. I was he really impressed. I, I was really impressed by how good he is in the film. Me too, me too. I mean, it's 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 always you know it's always difficult with with child actors, especially ones that young, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I yeah, I thought I thought uh, he he did very good. He's very likable. He's not uh, 
He's not he's not annoyingly precocious at any in any respect, no. you know. He's, he uh, he avoids all the hideous yeah. cliches of mm. bad child actors, mm. and it's really impressive. Yeah, yeah, I agree. He did a great job. <clears throat> but um it, it's so it's so neat. Sometimes you'll see a movie with a child actor in it, and there's one attribute of the kid that is kind of central to the plot or the uh, in some way affects how the story plays out. Mm-hmm. And sometimes depending on your own personal point of view, the casting is off because you just can't see mm-hmm. how this kid could affect someone in that way within the structure of the film, that's being, of the, the story is being told in that particular film. Right. But I have to say, Sergio is so cute in this movie, yeah. it is absolutely no, no great stretch at all that someone mm-hmm. who just met him and, and was talking to him, especially someone who mm-hmm. wanted children of her own and couldn't, Right. would immediately be drawn to this kid because he is so damned cute. It's yeah. kind of mm-hmm. supernatural how cute the kid is in this movie. Yeah. I kept I kept looking around thinking, did they like do something to the to the mm. lens of the camera? Yeah. I mean, yeah. my God. And the chemistry between him and the Duke is, yes. is terrific. I mean, you really can buy these two guys as as like you know, because it's neat the way the film because you know, the first minute first little while you watch the film, I'm starting to think was should, was should this film have been called My Father the Vagabond because I was actually starting to wonder if he was really his son. It takes a little while before you start before to figure out, out yeah. before they kind of reveal what's going on, you know, that he's actually adopted him. Yeah. But their chemistry with each other and their interplay in the scenes are, are just seems very natural. I mean, there's, there's you know, it's, it's it really, you really believe, you know, kind of the, the, the bond these, these, two, these two characters have. Well, the, the neat thing to me is, of course, we're in, we're in contact with Sergio via Facebook, and he's a, he's a friend mm-hmm. of the podcast. And so yeah. I, I, a few days ago, I contacted Sergio on Facebook and said, can I ask a few questions about this movie? Yeah, great. And uh, one of the first things I asked him was, you know, you, you, know, you seem to have a great, a really great rapport mm-hmm. with the actor who plays the Duke with uh, Jose Luis Lopez uh, Lopez Vasquez, and uh, Sergio replies, "Yeah, I working. I worked with him almost the entire shooting of the film. You know, most the vast majority of his scenes were with him. Mm-hmm. And he said he was just a great guy. He was just he was a star at that mm-hmm. age in Spain. He was a he was a big star, a movie star." Mm-hmm. And uh, with with many movies in his filmography, and uh, had generally been oriented to comedy, but in this film, you know, it's it's a drama, and he pulls it off very well. He says, "My first impression was great when I met him. He, I remember the first day of he said the first day of shooting was impressive to work for him, or to work with him because he knew him. He knew his face. Being you know, growing up in Spain, he knew him. Mm-hmm. And it's like I'm yeah. working with this guy. This is a this yeah. is a real actor. Yeah, yeah." And the, he's apparently the, the that actor had a really great relationship with his father. Even though they just made the the two movies together, they had a huge mutual respect and apparently really enjoyed working together. So it's a shame that apparently they didn't get to work together before yeah. then or after it either. Which that, mm-hmm. that really does kind of stink. Oh, and uh, by the way, uh, that that song in the movie. Yes, let's talk about the song. <laughs> well, be get step, step lightly. That is Sergio. See, I wondered. It. I wondered. Yes. Well, I wasn't gonna. Well, I had to. I had to ask. Yeah, yeah. Sergio, is that you singing that song? Yes, this yeah, this this song, ladies and gentlemen, uh, it is the most insidiously catchy song. You I will know. have it in your head for you know. 
no, I have no problems with the singing of it. I, 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 you know, it's just the song in general was like, it I, it's, it's like, like it's leave my head, it won't it's leave. Earworm, it won't, it really no, is. it just stop. But no, no, I, just, you know, it's he does fine as a kid singing the song. You know, he does just fine. So, well, well, I asked him about the song, and he says, "I sing." The, he says, "Yes, I sing the song at the beginning. You can yeah. recognize because it sounds terrible." <laughs> <laughs> One morning, my father says to me, "I need someone to sing the song of the film. Come with me to the studio because I want to. Uh, huh? <laughs> I want you to. I want you to be a part of it." And he says, okay, and oh my God, this is the result. He says, says, I'm very proud of the movie, except for the song. (laughs) I just wonder if that song ever pops up on like some kind of radio station or something to just torture Sergio over there if he ever happens to come across it or not, you know. Because I mean, I know now she says it shows up on TV, so it makes me Well, that's just it. I I asked him, I said, "How how did this movie do? And he says it did really well at the time, and it still comes up on television. See, that's what, I, what that's, I'm very glad you asked, because I was curious if, to know if even now if it still, you know, uh, makes the rounds like, you know, like here, you know, we see Miracle on 34th Street and stuff like that that makes the yeah. rounds of television in December, you know, would be, uh, that, that's 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 great to know. But <laughs> Well, I don't, I, don't, I don't think it's that ubiquitous, but I, apparently, well, yeah, probably, it still yeah, maybe does not, get shown. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it, does. it probably doesn't do a 24-7 marathon like we get a Christmas story here on, you know, one of our stations that shows it. <laughs> You know, <laughs> all well, day long. There are many things in this movie that are autobiographical. Nashi mm-hmm. mm-hmm. wrote a lot of himself as a child into this, mm-hmm. to the point where, uh, as a matter of fact, I'll, I'll, I'll quote what uh, what Nashi said here. I, I saved this bit. He says, uh, oh, he said the, uh, the German governess... Yeah, he had a German, German governess, had, so yeah. that's that's where that comes from. See, uh, once the once the wealthy uh, the wealthy couple adopt him, they decide to get him a uh, a German governess to to teach him, and uh, you know, kind of be uh, mm. the, the it's it's the it's the old idea of uh, it's, it's how the rich were educated yeah. long before there was mm. a, a, a formal schooling system, and uh, this German governess. Regiments every part of his life, not just his education, but even his, but also his bowel movements. That's, exactly. That laughed. I laughed out loud. That that was actually a really funny scene there. You know, when he because said, cause, just because the look of his face, he's so mad. He's just like, I don't, I don't, I don't have to go now. Yeah, that really actually was. That was pretty darn funny. I got to admit. It's like I'm sorry, but I cannot crap on the clock. I'm <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I cannot. You cannot. Yeah. Hit ding. Seven yeah. o'clock. Time to go crap. I just. Yeah. I'm not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm with the kid. I. I don't understand this. Mm-hmm. But uh, the. Uh, Things like that are part of it, but, but a part of Nashi's childhood as well. And the uh, one of the neater things is that um, at two points in the film, I think it's only two points, uh, Sergio uh, has dream sequences where he's imagining both uh, Nashi's character and uh, the Duke as heroes in mm. different scenarios in his imagination. And and the and the, the punk and his crew are always the villains exactly. or, or the rich friends of, of uh, Enrique's rich yeah. friends. But I thought that was great in the fantasy sequences. I thought it was great that, that both, you know, Enrique and, and Irene and, and the Duke are both are seen as good, which yeah. just shows that he loves both these families. He loves both yeah. of these sides of it, and I, and I thought that was really neat. Yeah, this is very that. much yeah. a kid who... He doesn't want to choose sides. He's happy when he, he loves And he, and he doesn't yeah. have to. It's right. like he has three yeah. parents, and yeah. that's perfectly fine, and that's the way that's the way he views them, mm-hmm. and it shows up in those fantasy sequences beautifully. Mm-hmm. But you have, uh, you have a Western scenario with, uh, mm-hmm. with uh, mm-hmm. uh, Enrique and the Duke as uh, sheriffs yeah. of, of various types with, with mm-hmm. more than one, with like one star on a chest and maybe they have like, oh, he's, 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 he's it's like, a, it's like a, the, the general ranking. He's like, he's got a little extra star above it. So he's like the sheriff's sheriff or something. I don't yeah. know. And then there's the, uh, 
what is there's a there's a Robin Hood moment. There's a Three Musketeers. Three Musketeers, moment. yeah, that's. <laughs> and, it, and it's all the 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 classic adventure literature mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. any boy would grow up, much as Nashie talks about himself doing. Yeah. Absolutely loving and living vicariously through, mm-hmm. and uh, it's, it's it's really a lot of fun to see these sequences. Mm-hmm. They're a lot of they're a lot of fun. Although there was an accident when they were filming those. Yeah, right. I, I know what you're talking about. Sergio re- re- reiterated it, but it's also here in the book. He says um, uh, it was during the filming of the scene in which the boy has a dream involving my character in a shootout with a bunch of gunslingers. I'd given the order to cut and was being helped up off the ground when um, when. Pep Corianus, Coriomenius, I can't pronounce this poor guy's last name, uh, his gun went off accidentally, hitting me in the eyes. I was on the verge of losing my sight, but luckily the ophthalmologist got the gunpowder out of my eyes in time, and after a few days we were able to continue filming. <clears throat> that's pretty. Yeah, that's, that's, that's rough. That is. <laughs> that, that is. That's the kind of thing that uh, well, clearly Sergio brought it up when I was corresponding back yeah. and forth with him. So yeah. that one stuck out in his mind as well. That had to have been horrifying as a seven or eight year old oh, going, man. "Oh my God, my you know this little accident, my dad's going to be blind." Yeah. <laughs> the hell. He says. Uh, also, uh, Nashi says there was also an amusing incident. One of our actors, made up and costumed for his role, was arrested by the police on the underground. They thought he was a real pickpocket. The producers had to go and rescue him from the police. <laughs> <clears throat> he says uh, the film was finished without further setbacks, and it was distributed once again by CIC and premiered at the Grand Villa Cinema. Sergio still reminds me that we didn't take him to the premiere of the film. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> That was what was that written in the late nineteen nineties, early two yeah. thousands, yeah. and at that point, still, mm-hmm. still, his son is going. You didn't take me you to the didn't premiere. Didn't take me to the premiere. <laughs> oh, oh, Sergio! But uh, hey, then at least you wouldn't have just sat in the theater and cringed as you as heard your song, song play. Came yeah. Up. yeah. Now I do trust you're going to end this episode with uh, that with that song, so we can share with our listeners, and it can be oh, in their dude. heads for the next few weeks. Dude, I may pepper the entire episode. Yeah, just every song. five minutes, just pop in with that. Yeah. <laughs> just drop it a little a little more of Sergio <laughs> but yes I'll be ending the podcast with the song good. from the film of course so that everyone can hear it mm-hmm. but um I really I enjoyed this film it it, it accomplishes it, 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 it hits every mark it wants to hit it accomplishes its goal very effectively um the only problem I had with it is just because I'm watching it in December I almost wanted it to be a little bit more Christmassy yeah, even more of a yeah. I know what you mean. I mean, yeah, there, there's you know, it's obviously taking place around mm-hmm. Christmas and around the holidays, and it's just it's a part of it's like, oh, if they just you know, if they just pushed pushed harder on that, that would have been neat. Mm-hmm. But uh, what 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 did you? I mean, what did you feel about it? What did, did you mm-hmm. did you like it? Did you dislike it? I mean, I liked it. I liked it. I I um you know I mean I'm. I'm be honest, I don't, you know, obviously I don't, in, in general, you know, I know you're saying, we well, don't watch a whole lot of family-oriented films year-long. You know, obviously I get a little bit more of a mood for them this time of year. Um, so I can't say that this is a film that in norm- normally that I would I would watch or, you know, a lot or go back and watch a lot. But I think it accomplishes, I think it hits its target very well and manages to, like, you know, like we talked about, not always take the easy way out. Um Although it does manage, obviously, overall, yes, it is a, a all's well that ends well film. I mean, that's what it's supposed to be. You know, it is one to, to warm the heart and, you know, and yeah. to, to uh, you know, uh, to be kind of, you know, a uh, peace on earth, goodwill to men kind of film. You know, and it does that, but it's never cloying. You know, it never goes no. overboard. I don't ever feel like that. That's one thing I liked about it is it never gets overly sentimental. You know, just when it may start to be emotional, it'll throw in some comedy there to kind of lighten it. Um 
I think that the characters are true. I, th- I really think that a lot of the characters are really well written. Um, uh-huh. Even some of really the smaller well, characters are neat. Yeah, like Nashi's. Oh, well, excuse me, not Nashi. I'm sorry, but even um, the Duke, the Vagabond's uh, uh, best friend that kind of hangs yeah. out with him. There's a great character, you know, and and he's you know, and he's he's one of those that that kind of like they sort of, you know, they they uh, they're just a couple old curmudgeons that have obviously lived on the streets <laughs> and 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 you know, and good good friends for a long time, you know, and they have their little arguments, and they have their little, you know, but the guy actually. Speaks a lot of reason. He kind of he kind of speaks a lot of sense to to he kind of along. He's sort of another voice, kind of saying to the Duke, you know, you know, what do you really, you know, what are you? This really is naturally what's happening that? with this boy. This is where he needs to be. This is you know natural that the, this family wants to be with him and, and that he should be with them. And and it's nice that early on in the film, one of the earliest scenes we see of uh, of the Duke when he's basically put Sergio to bed. He has the thoughts in his head that later everybody in the film says to him, and he kind of fights back against. But from early on in the film, we see that he knows really what everybody's saying to him is on one level true, as far as that, you know, you really can't raise this child in this this environment, you know, because and and so early in the film we hear his own thoughts for himself, like what's going to become of this kid, you know, how am I going to take care of you? When other people confront him with it, he becomes more defensive. But we've already seen that. Really, he knows because he yeah. they're telling him, like, saying, "Yeah, this." Like you, yeah, you, yeah. So, you, like, how are you actually? You what this what kid if something happens to you? In, yeah, You're on the streets. You, you yeah. and your kid. You and this yeah. kid are living in one room that is mm-hmm. bedroom, kitchen, and, mm-hmm. and living space. Mm-hmm. How much longer can this go on? Yeah, you know, and and he knows it. And you're mm-hmm. right. He doesn't become. It be, he becomes defensive when other people confront him. But it's because with it's this. a pain. Because it's, it's because it's a painful situation to him. The concept, the realization of losing, even though on one level he knows that 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 they're right. Um, but uh, I, and, and the thing is, he 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 does trust those two people. When he mm-hmm. they start once the boy starts spending time with them, he sees them interacting. He he mm-hmm. talks to the boy every day, so he knows. Okay, mm-hmm. these people are, they're not going too far in one direction and they're not going too far in the other these are not yeah. these are not hideous people these are not people who are attempting to take advantage of this child yeah. or, or after or, or after a child for some you know ridiculous selfish reason so the uh, uh, here's this is something I thought this was an interesting very interesting difference between uh, and maybe Elena or somebody maybe Elena could, could possibly you know and, and maybe shed a little more light on this too if she agrees with this or not but it's, it seemed to me a, a difference between this film made for the Spanish culture and a film made, if this film had been made for an American audience, you know, Punk and his gang would have never been anything more than bumbling comic thugs. Whereas right. this film, even though this is a family film, you know, and even though, yes, they're pathetic and they're losers and they're not very smart, they still have a dangerous edge to them. In yeah. other words, they talk about, I mean, they talk very blatantly about, you know, killing the kid or calling gunny. I mean, you know, things that would never yeah, be said. Right. There comes and, a There comes a point Later on, when the the whole uh, their, their whole criminal scheme is about to fall apart on them, yeah, that one of them quite bluntly, I guess it is punk. He basically yeah. says, "Well, I mean, we're, we're just gonna have to kill the kid, and, yeah, yeah, and ha- find some good place to stash his body and get the hell out of town." Yeah, it's and just it's like, yeah, whoa, they're serious about this. Yeah. Hold on, yeah, and uh, I thought that was interesting that that was even in a what would be considered, you know, a film for probably a you know, like I said, a family friendly film, yeah, in that culture. You know that they still that's sort of a little more acceptable or not as shocking as it would be. You know, it just wouldn't be allowed oh, so here. You know, is your question? Would your question for Elena be? And I'll just pose it and see if you agree. In family friendly oriented as, entertainment, is uh, is there a different mm-hmm. vibe, a different feel, a different way of uh, approaching possible danger, possible mm-hmm. violence to mm-hmm. adolescents? Yeah, yeah like a little yeah. bit more willing to be grittier, a little bit more like in the real, like yeah. in, in real life violence, you know, instead of the feeling to have to soft, 
you know, make well, I mean, every soften everything for not not to not to bring up the controversial kaiju cast, but I mean, we were just talking about the um, yeah the, the, the film the film the film where we have these two bumbling yeah. bank robbers. Where as we were mm-hmm. saying, I we couldn't figure out how in the hell they managed to put yeah yeah to yeah. put put enough brain cells together to actually formulate and actually pull off mm-hmm. a bank robbery. Yeah, much true, less true. So it wasn't right. So it's not just an American thing. You're right. Yeah. We saw the same thing in the Japanese film. Yeah, is that yeah. is yeah. Whereas whereas these. You know these these criminals actually have that sort of potential for real. Well, you know, I mean, later in, the, I mean, before that, you know, after they get beaten up by the Duke, you know, there's one point in the film where they give him his comeuppance and they beat him up. And I love yeah. that. And he I ends love up in the hospital. And I yeah. love the way that scene was filmed. You know, now there's a scene where you get the full effect. I mean, that's actually a very um, effective scene without showing you anything other than Sergio's just reaction to it, which is a great which way to do it. Which is a great way to say like, okay, we're still. Not we don't want to violently show them really beating the hell out of you know the the sympathetic the character everybody loves, but just by zooming in on Sergio and watching his reaction, which he does very well, and yeah. I mean it's really actually kind of more effective honestly than if you had seen them actually beating him up. You know, it's it's actually even more of a powerful scene. And and I love the scene between uh, the Duke and uh, Enrique between him and Nashi when he's in the hospital. Mm-hmm. It's also a very that's a that that's mm-hmm. a very yeah. well played scene as well. Yeah, so. and. One of the most difficult characters that I think it would be to pull off, and I think that it's handled very effectively, is uh, Julia Sally's character of Irene, because yeah, she is we, you know, she's a, she's a little spoiled. You know, she can tell she's you know she's a little spoiled, a little pampered, a little on the childish side. She also has, of course, had a great loss, which has actually shaken her. You know, and and, and I, I love some of the little touches that uh, Nashi does throughout the film, just the attention to detail and, and how much of a master at his craft he was at this point as far as comfortable in depicting things visually, you know, uh, details that we see between the Duke and, and Sergio in their home, you know, and, and just things that we see him do that we, we understand about the relationship without anybody seeing anything. And with yeah. her, there's one scene that just starts with her taking some sort of pill you know, and then the scene goes on, the conversation between her and Enrique without any kind of reference to it. But just by starting the scene like that, without even saying what it is she's taken, we sort of automatically know that she, because of what happened to her, has has some emotional problems that she has to deal with on a daily basis and has to take medication for. And, you know, Enrique early on says to her when she starts fixating on Sergio, you know, he says, now, this is not some toy that, you know, you can't just, that you're going to become bored with. And, and, and that's sort of what she does by bringing in the German... You know, yeah, uh, she kind of distances herself. That she's already starts to go that way, but her character grows and she comes around to realizing she can't be like that. But I thought it's, that would be to make her character somebody still sympathetic, you know, because Enrique is much more sympathetic because he's kind of constantly the voice of reason. Even yeah. you know, he kind of wants to continually tell you know make sure she understands the gravity of what they're even going to do. And he's he's wary of the Duke at first, you know, until he realizes the Duke really isn't out for money. That it's that it's not. He's not just trying to use the kid to get money from her, and he's. You know, and he obviously loves her, but she's obviously a little, you know, she's a little bit of, obviously, a little bit of a handful, you know, and she, she's, like I said, a little bit spoiled, maybe a little haughty, and maybe does tend to look down a little bit on the the Duke and not be totally sympathetic to his situation. But I think that she still comes off being ultimately a good character, but I think that would have been a difficult, that probably was the most, one of the most difficult characters to pull off, and I think that he, I think that character's written just very well. I was very impressed with the layers he gives to her you know, to that character. Yeah, I mean, there are several scenes where we get uh, nice subtle, a, a nice subtle sense of the, the the emotional trauma that she's gone through. Yeah. And how she might 
it, it doesn't become evident to us, and I think this is one of the strengths of the narrative of the film, it doesn't become evident to us until uh, until a few minutes into the whole sequence where he the, the, the boy now has the, the, uh, the German governess, mm -hmm. that this is part of her kind of trying to protect herself that this is mm -hmm. Irene yeah. trying to protect herself a little bit emotionally to keep yeah. a, keep a little bit of distance mm -hmm. and even she probably didn't realize that's what she was oh, doing sure, because right. yeah. her reasons for doing it were sound right in other yeah. words anyone outside of the situation or even inside the situation could have very easily justified what she was doing because it's a good idea mm -hmm. educate you, you, you of course you're going to educate the boy yeah. but the choice that she makes automatically puts another human being between her and yes. this, and her now adopted son. Mm -hmm. And as the film progresses, it shows you before Nashi's character as her husband mm -hmm. confronts her with the fact that that's what's happening. What you've done is you yeah. put this barrier, you, you've put some distance in there, you're pulling yeah. away mm -hmm. and you may be able to justify it, but that's still what you're doing yeah. and you don't need to. And that he's, she's killing, and that's going to kill Sergio inside because you've taken yeah. him from a life of total freedom. And, you're, and he needed structure, but you're putting him totally into a life of total structure. And, yeah. you, don't, and you don't seem to realize yeah. but it. If you don't yeah. pull back from that, yeah, you're right. It, regardless of, the, of mm -hmm. the harm it'll do to the boy, and it will. He will eventually yeah. rebel against it, and it, and it, will, and it will all mm -hmm. go badly. Mm -hmm. What it's going to do to you is even worse because this is going to be, no matter what happens, if this fails, you're going to see this as some kind of horrendous second second you know horrible event in your life some secondary climax of yeah. of uh, destructive energy and emotion and this is just not going to be something that you might yeah. be able to recover from and you, so you know where you know where I think I think where you first really like her where she becomes kind of okay it's not it's not the last time it's she still has some more like mistakes to make but I think the part where she becomes okay and I think it's a great scene is the scene where they're having, you know, their rich friends over for the party and the men are kind of getting together, you know, and this yeah. guy that's kind of Lord, that's this guy that's, you know, that, that, oh, the that, great, Henry, the great the great that Enrique can't stand, you know, and this is all a very funny scene, but where all the women are around the table, you know, and, and, uh -huh. and they bring in, they kind of bring in Sergio to show him off, you know, they want to see your new adopted son, you know, and, and uh -huh. he's of course just furious because he's this governess has just made him learn this <laughs> yeah. ridiculous Russian dance and, you know. Oh, and it, it makes but, him do the damn dance uh, in front of those people. Like, I, oh, did you geez. ask Sergio about the dance? The dance was amazing. Oh, I didn't even think to ask him about the dance. Oh, <laughs> uh, but, 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 but where he springs the mouse, you know, and the mouse jumps, yeah. or was it a frog in this case? And now the, frog, the, frog, yeah. the frog jumps up and lands on the, the breast of, you know, of, of one of the, of the big, you know, rich, you know, pompous rich. lady. And, but the fact that that it doesn't even really call like a close attention to it, but where the other women are freaking out and Irene is just cracking up, you know, she's just dying well, laughing about dying it. Laughing. And, 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 and then of course she quickly gets him to fight with one of the women like criticize the boy. And she's like, she, Back you know, off. quickly, but that just that scene is kind of like, I think that's the first point where you, where you realize, you know, yeah, she's okay. She's not, you know, she well, may have her problems, but she's not like these other women, about you know, that. because she starts cracking up. What's that, funny yeah. for me about that scene yeah. is that when, when Sergio has just had enough and he, and he, yeah. and he, pull, he, he, that frog leaps onto yeah. the woman's chest. Yeah. And you're right. In that same yeah. shot, you can see, uh, Julia Sally mm -hmm. sitting back there and you see her crack up yeah. and put her hand to her mouth. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh hell, that's a screw up. 
Oh yeah, you thought like right thought, that the camera oh, accidentally she caught cried. her laughing. Yeah. Accidentally caught her laughing, yeah. and they just kept the take. Yeah. But then as the scene progresses, you're like, no, yeah, her character really, is laughing yeah. her ass off. She thinks yeah. this is hysterical, <laughs> and I, I just thought, oh, that's beautiful. That yeah. really is beautiful because it's like, yeah, of course. Not only naturally are you going to be on the side of the kid and kind of go, well, I'm sorry he did that, but yeah. holy shit, that was funny. Yeah. No, she's like. Shut up! Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> Shut up! The yeah. kid didn't do anything. He didn't, you know, he yeah. didn't harm you in any way. Yeah, yeah, and then, and then, of course, that leads to a great. It's great because you know, then Enrique gets the excuse to finally punch the guy like he's been dying. To oh, I know he's and that's a hilarious dying, scene too. The way the guy just flops back over the couch is just with his legs straight up in there, you know. But but it's neat because kind of bringing Sergio into their lives kind of gave them the free you know kind of led to them being yeah. able to just unload on these people they've always wanted to that they hate you know these so it's you know that was kind it's, of a, it's, it's, yeah. it's almost like uh this is this is horrible to say because if this were an american film and i know we keep saying that kind yeah. of thing that whole scenario would have mm. been played out in such obvious underlined bold-faced oh, terms yeah very much so. where it became a big giant caricature yeah. of these types of people whereas these types of people it, within these scenes they're not Larger than life, they're not cartoon characters. Yeah, these are these yeah. are these are people. It's not. It's very easy to see these as yeah. normal everyday people that you just yeah yeah, yeah. oh god yeah, yeah exactly. I'm gonna have to put up. I'm gonna have to put up with this pompous and dickweed <laughs> yeah, again because this is the society. These are the circles we move in. You know that are uh, right and. You know, these you know I deal with some of these people because of you know because mm-hmm. of business interests, and mm-hmm. I with some of these people because they knew my mm-hmm. mother's family or my father's family or whatever. Mm-hmm. And to just reach that point, like I say, it's not big, bold, stupid, and right. overemphasized. Yeah. These people act like real people, just people you wouldn't necessarily enjoy being around, or you'd have to ignore certain aspects of their personality. And then this happens, and you're right. The the guy insults the kid, and it's just like. You're not going to insult my son. That's yeah, just that's, not yeah, about yeah, to right. happen. You're going to yeah. get a fistful of fist. I mean, a face full of fist. It's just going to happen. Yeah. But yeah, it's a it's a neat little scene, and it's another. Mm. It's it, it was another one of those little joys watching this movie. Going, this would have been so over the top mm-hmm. yeah. in an American made film. Yeah. And here, it's played down. Mm. It, it it's handled much better in a much more realistic way yeah. and yet still has that great payoff mm-hmm. at the yeah. end yeah. and like i say it it took me off guard it took me off guard in two ways is i really didn't think that one of the one of the men coming into the room would smart off in such an ob, it's, it's a yeah. just obviously stupid way you're going to insult someone's yeah. child really yeah. you're going to insult yeah. somebody's child what do you think is about to happen yeah. if you insult a man's son i mean what the hell do you think is going to happen and then also, like I said, it caught me off guard thinking, oh, they didn't mean to catch Miss mm. Sally mm. La- yeah, laughing. laughing there. Yeah. No, that was a, <laughs> yeah. completely intentional. <laughs> yeah, it totally puts you on, totally makes you even more on the side. I mean, realizing, yeah, these are these are good people. It's like maybe, you know, maybe you don't want to see him separated from, you hate to see him separated from the Duke, but this is, uh, these are good people, the yeah, couple that's yeah. taken him in. They're actually, you know, they're worthwhile people. So Yeah, these, these are not, these are not in any way, shape, or form monsters, and it's nice to have those kinds of characters yeah. represented in movies like this. Yeah. And, uh, you can find them that you can find them that you can find them. It's just mm-hmm. it's hard to do. I'll never forget. Mm-hmm. Um, back when I guess it was the early or mid '90s when uh, the film The Sandlot came out. Right. Now The Sandlot is a great film. Yeah, very well done. But one of the great things about it is that it's a it's a it's a movie about a bunch of kids, mm-hmm. but it's not a childish movie. Right. It treats these kids uh, very realistically, mm-hmm. very seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, their concerns and their fears are are 
grounded and mm-hmm. realistic. <clears throat> they have the they have that one built up fear of the the monster that is of course once you find out what the monster is, it's this you know big hideous dog which anybody mm-hmm. would be afraid of of God of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's it's yeah. the it's one of my favorite things, which is a kids sports movie mm-hmm. without any sports in it. Yeah, words, really, yeah, yeah. The whole film it's, is built around. It's not about trying things. to win a championship or yeah. trying to. Yeah, there, there, there's one competitive mm-hmm. game in the yeah. Sandlot. Yeah, and it's a fucking runaway. Yeah, there's yeah. never any doubt who's going to win <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah, they kill those kids. Yeah, I mean, they just yeah. murder them off yeah. the field. It's done. And to me, that's the kind of um, mm. intelligent children's movie. Or, yes. or it's not even a children's movie. No, it's an intelligent movie about kids. Yeah, of this type, in mm-hmm. tone. They don't talk down to you. This is not a film that... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's family-friendly. Both Sandlot and My Friend the Vagabond are family-friendly films mm-hmm. that do not insult the intelligence yes. of either kids or adults. Right, and right. that's And that's that's why that, that, that's why that parallels the form, there, there for me because none of the characters in The Sandlot are characters. Mm-hmm. None of them are uh, unrealistic. Mm-hmm. The same in this. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, that. some of them are dumber than others, right? Yeah, but that's about it. Yeah. So, um, so when it comes down to it, uh, where did you fall on this film? Where, on the one to ten scale, what what mm-hmm. do you end up? Yeah, I ended up giving it a seven because uh, okay. you know it was it was um, you know, I mean, yeah, it's obviously it's it's it, it may it may not be a film that I return to much, you know, watch, but I uh, I enjoyed it both times I watched it. I picked things out from it you know i noticed uh, uh, things that i, I liked I, I really just think it's a good example of you know yeah it's not the not a, a film that i would show someone early on in as as like an introduction to nashi but it is one that i think that nashi fans really need to see because man talk about a film that just shows you yet another layer of what the man could do you know something yeah. that else has come out of left field you know composed anything else we've seen we call this film autobiographical well, so was Howl of the Devil, and can you find two films more opposite? You know, I mean, can you imagine a double feature of Howl of <laughs> the Devil and made four, and, and made four years apart? Yes, yeah. I mean, yes, exactly, made around the very much the same time. But it's like you know the and and I just think that this film is really just you know I'd say ninety percent very solid in all the way it's made. I mean, there's very few instances of 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 maybe a, a you know an an odd cut here or there or something that just I mean yeah. for the most part it's it's. You know, and then, like I said, there's just so much detail in the characters and where they live. So many things visually you see that that tell you things. And I think it was just, uh, uh, I mean, there's not many, not many filmmakers, especially ones who will forever be known as a horror filmmaker, who had this kind of thing in their resume. You know, and I think it's 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 even though, yeah, for what how much it affected me personally, maybe it's more of a five or something, but for what it did for its target, what it was set out to accomplish, yeah. you know, that's where I have to give it the seven because I, I just think it's, it's, it's a very good film of its, of its nature, you know, of what you would call a Christmas, you know, life affirming film. Hey, you know, I think it, I think it does it, you know, and I'm glad you use that phrase life affirming because yeah. I think that really is Without what he said. Preachy, never preachy, you know, exactly, like, exactly. He's a, this is a life affirming slice of life. Be- beautiful little movie. It almost makes me wish, no, flat out, it does make me wish that Paul Nashi had ever gotten a shot at making um, a-, a coming of age film. Yeah, yeah. Something that shows uh, a young man, hopefully autobiographical, something that c- mm-hmm. can be related and pulled directly yeah. from his life. Lord knows the man had an amazing life. Read the yeah. biography and just he had the things that happened to him personally were like a incredible story. Agreed, agreed. Uh, f- amusingly enough, I fell, uh, I fell. Uh, 
onto giving it a, a six because okay. I think it I think it is effective. So mm-hmm. I see where you, it's funny you said a five or a seven. Well, to be honest, like, I almost gave right it. I almost, well, say I almost split the difference too. I came very yeah. close to giving it a six because I almost said okay, you know, five for how much it maybe is going to linger in my memory or as far as become like a, a, a regularly watched film, you know, is more of a five level. But seven for because of it achieved yeah. so much. I said do so. I almost split the difference. I gave it a six, and then I decided to just you know no. I think I had enough enjoyment there. That's enough of you know to get. But yeah, so so I would almost lean that way myself. So and you're right. This is another one of those movies that we come across that. Uh, and, and once again, this is uh, not a film that's ever been dubbed right, right. or officially subtitled into right. English. This is mm-hmm. a Spanish language film that has been fan subbed. And for the fan subbers, once again, mm-hmm. thank you very much. Mm-hmm. The yeah, no kidding. Really, we we could not watch and and enjoy this movie without you. And uh, all praise the fan subbers. Yes, yes, thank but, you, folks. The uh, the the joy of this is it is a uh, therefore it's another one of these movies that was never really meant to be seen outside of the culture that it was that it was filmed in. Mm-hmm. So what we have is a as a beautiful little movie that you're right mm-hmm. hits its targets, does what it's supposed to do. It it, it, it hits what it aims to do, as we talked about earlier. Um, also, uh, I have to just point out too. Did you if you caught the. Uh... Did you did you did you catch Sergio's very first line in the movie? Did it did you notice the? I don't. I didn't notice what his first uh, line was. Uh, the very first thing he says, uh, you know, when they find the first time we see them, actually, you know, they find the cigar on the ground. And, oh yeah, yeah. Um, I forget what the Duke says to prompt it, but uh, but he he uh, he asks him something. But the first thing Sergio says, "I'm as hungry as a wolf," and I just like said that they're like, "Oh, oh yeah, that's you can't right. tell me that's not a you can't <laughs> tell me that's not an in joke, do dad." There, you know, oh, that's, like, that, and, that's not an in joke. And that was that's... even before I recognized. That's even before I realized that it was not Nashy playing that character. That's when I yeah. thought at first I was still expecting to be Nashy playing it. But either way, I was like, okay, yeah, that's a. That's yeah, a yeah, that's, that's a line there. It's a line. <laughs> that's, that, that's definitely that's definitely the obvious reference to, <laughs> to uh, yeah, El Hombre yeah. Lobo. Lobo. Of yeah. course, of so course. I thought that was pretty neat, and and it's great yeah. too because the audience by that point in Paul Nash's oh, career would have all. I'm sure that probably got a big chuckle, you know, in the Spanish audience there to see that. Yeah. And you're right that that's his first line, so that would have gotten mm-hmm. the film off to a nice little amusing mm-hmm. start mm-hmm. for the audience. Mm-hmm. The very the very knowing nod at the audience, as we all know who made this mm-hmm. film. So yeah, just uh, one more thing I want to point out, um, not necessarily about this film specifically, but just by doing this film, I don't know if you had thought about this, but we, this is kind of neat, but we have essentially covered all of the films that Nashi directed. Now, I have to throw a couple of caveats in that. One, of course, there's a lot of the things he did for Japanese television, documentaries and stuff. We'll never get our hands on that, I'm sure. No. Um, and there's short films and there's little things, other things he probably did for television, Spanish television. And But as far as films made in you know the Spanish language, which made for the Spanish film industry, <clears throat> the only other thing that I've been able to see on his resume that we have not covered... Uh, it's, it's something that, I forget what year, I think it's from the 90s or 2000s or something, but it's called, uh, I think, something about Black Museum or Wax Museum, Horrors and Wax Museum. And I think there's a question about whether it was ever even completed. I don't think it's been. Yeah, yeah. There, there, so, there, no, no one's ever seen it as far as I know. So, so unless somebody can track that down for us and, and find that for us and or prove that it exists, I think we can actually say that we have now covered all the films he did as a director. And that's, that makes me feel pretty good. That's pretty neat because yeah, I think when I we started... At, so, you know, I realize that, you know, we know we're not going to be able to do every Nashi film on yeah. a Nashi Gas, but at least we can say that we covered every one of his major his films as a director, and that's pretty cool. I think I'm, I'm I think that's I'm cool. I'm pretty that's, good about that. That's really weird that 
while prepping for this, I did not realize or think that, that this is, all, that yeah. we've done all the directorial films. That's true, mm-hmm. mainly because it's just every time I every time I read uh, about this period uh, mm-hmm. when this film was made, all I can read about are all the uh, the documentaries he made. And it's like, yeah, you're, yeah, yeah, you wouldn't yeah, even really have any interest yeah. in the documentary yeah. because he did so many on so many different subjects for Japanese television. So, yeah. that's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> maybe one day we uh, us, maybe yeah. one day we, we we try to do a list of our favorites of just his of just directing films. yeah that'd be an interesting that'd be an interesting like be a uh, calm down like kind of thing that. to do yeah that would be fun um that is interesting I had not really thought about that but I guess uh wow it just occurred to me that what might be a, a an interesting idea besides the list of you know favorite the least favorite mm. directorial efforts, uh, just an examination of the scope of the subject matter of the films mm. he directed, the fiction films, sure. right? not touching on anything else. Right. Just, the, just the movies we've covered. Yeah, uh, that would be interesting. Just, just to kind of uh, you know, almost try to chart the yeah. uh, chart well, the subject matter. Yeah, without looking at it closely, I can tell you what: if somebody looked at that body of work, didn't know anything about the guy, just looked what he did, they might not come away saying, yeah, labeling him a horror director. Probably not. Yeah. The more I think about it, yeah, you're right. Just yeah. because by the time he grabbed the reins and started directing his own mm-hmm. films. Mm-hmm was the tail end of just being a horror star and his decision to branch out and to do different things. So, yeah. uh, interesting. Well, I'll tell you what, folks. What we're going to do now mm-hmm. is we'll uh, take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll dive into the mailbag. Boy, do we have some emails this time around. I have the feeling the mailbag section is going <laughs> <Epic>. to... Stre- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> epic, epic. It's epic gonna, mailbag coming It up. will stretch credulity. All right. Yes, sir. May I help you, sir? Do you have any lettuce? Uh, yes, sir. I have some very fine lettuce. Uh, 30, 35 cents a head. Okay. I want a half a head. A half a head of lettuce? Yeah. A half a head, not a whole head? A half a head of lettuce. Now, hold on a second. I'll be right back. Hey, Chuck. Yeah? You got a big knife? A big knife? What for? Oh, some big, dumb, ugly-looking jerk wants a half a head of lettuce. Do you believe that? And this fine gentleman would like the other half. Hey there, Dennis E. Wolfpack. Dan here with another episode of It's Dan O'Clock. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving during our hiatus. There's lots of stuff to cover here, so let's get to it, shall we? First off, Wax is out starring Jack Taylor, Lone Fleming and Paul Nash's voice from the FullMoonStreaming.com website. Uh, both the DVD and the Blu-ray are both the same price, $11 and one quarter. Uh, you can also pay for streaming and see it via streaming on their website. I'm going to read uh, a paragraph or two off of the um, website synopsis to let you know exactly what the um, plot is of the movie, just in case you haven't heard about it. Iconic horror actor Jack Taylor owns the screen in Wax, starring as the malevolent Dr. Knox 
a sadistic, cannibalistic surgeon who traps a young journalist in his haunted wax museum, subjecting him, and in turn the audience, to a night of mind-melting terror. Inspired by the classic film House of Wax, Dr. Knox dresses up like its star Vincent Price, stalking through the dark amidst his gallery of eerie wax figures, unleashing unimaginable torments upon his victims. Recalling the gory, glory days of the classic 70s Spanish horror films, Wax rounds out its cast with such storied actors as Geraldine Chaplin, Lone Fleming, and the voice of the late iconic Spanish fantasy film superstar, and we can all agree with that here at the Nashi cast, Paul Nashi, in what is his final credited film appearance. Tonight's horror host segment might be a little crowded, uh, that's because we're talking about Cleveland Horror Hosts. And the Cleveland Horror Hosts kind of spun off of each other, so I do need to include all of them. But let's start at the beginning, shall we? In 1964 with Goulardi. Late night TV hosts in other broadcast markets typically portrayed themselves as mad scientists, vampires, or other horror film stock characters. In contrast to this, Ernie Anderson's irreverent and influential host character was a hipster by name of Goulardi. Goulardi's costume was a long lab coat covered with slogan buttons, horned rim glasses with a missing lens, a fake Van Dyke beard and mustache, and various messy, awkwardly perched wigs. It was confirmed by the Cleveland police that between 1964 and 1966, Friday nights had a 35% drop in crime due to everyone being at home watching the show. You're, see, when you're real close like that, you miss this whole bit here. The, <laughs> oh, boy. Don't too close. You'll see the phony beer in the hole. Right. I got a very interesting letter from a guy, and I want to read it, and my friend has gone to get it. There you are. Just going to go through uh, this here. Oh, listen, group. Somebody wrote in and said they don't care for Goulardi. Just call. Not only do they not care for him, but their whole bridge company hates him. Bridge? They already made the big one out in San Francisco so big you might as well give a game up. Goulardi plays nothing but poker. See, what you do in poker, you get a girl and you poke her. When Ernie Anderson left for Hollywood with fellow TV8 employee Tim Conway, the network needed a new horror host. A part-time weatherman, Bob Wells, stage name Houlihan, auditioned with the help of a Gallardi writer and camera tech named Big Chuck Shadowski. And the horror host team of Houlihan and Big Chuck was born, and they would be the kings of Cleveland horror hosting until Houlihan left for Florida in 1979. One of the skit players, Little John Rinaldi, would become the replacement to Houlihan, and Big Chuck and Little John would be the new name for the show until 2006 when the show was canceled. In 2013, the show came back, and it is still on the air, even though Big Chuck is in his 70s. <laughs> What's going on, lads? Oh, Father, it's a good thing you're here. That guy's going to jump. Yeah, Father, talk to him. Don't jump. Go away. Don't jump, son. Nothing can be that bad. It's too late. I've made up my mind. No, 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 son, no, no don't, don't jump. jump. Let no, me handle no. this. Son, don't jump. There's nothing that prayer can't solve. 
I'm an atheist! But, well, uh, think of your career, the people you work with, who depend on you. I was fired two days ago! Well, well, so think of your children, how they'll miss you. Don't jump! I don't have any kids! Okay, okay. Well, then think of your wife, your lovely wife, waiting for you at home. My wife left me three weeks ago! here. It's football season. Think of the Cleveland Browns. I'm from Pittsburgh. I'm a Steelers fan. What? Oh, the bloody world jump. In 1970, fan of the original Gilardi, Ron Swede, approached Ernie Anderson with a proposal to revive Anderson's 60s character, Gilardi. Anderson was not interested, but gave Swede his blessing for him to revive the character on his own. With that blessing, Ron Swede took the ghoul to Cleveland and set up shop. Shooting from a no-budget studio set, the ghoul inserted his own dialogue and sound effects over pretty bad B-movies, blew up food, model cars, and figurines with firecrackers, and produced strangely compelling, culturally relevant skits and parodies. The show was destructive and childish enough for little kids, but yet subversive and timely enough for young adults. Halloween 1974! Is that not dandy? Look at those eyes, sparkle and glitter in that light. Too much Bafo dynamite. Now, over to this for... Four. Give four a shake. Come up. Nice and easy. Aw, oh, too much. Kids been practicing, haven't you, Lex? Oh, give it a little bang day. All throughout the show. I mean, what's our fourth annual Halloween show without a jack-o'-lantern over day? We're going to be carving it, I promise. We got another one, and nothing's going to happen to this. I want to tell you, I've already scooped it out. I've gutted the thing. And we're going to carve it all throughout the show, so carve along with the ghoul. Ain't that good? I know a lot of you can't because they don't give you sharp implements, but do the best you can, gang, wherever you may be out there in TV land. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the winner of the Penny Dreadful Dr. Gangrene DVD giveaway is Villa Wolf. Villa is a friend of the cast, and she's been there from the beginning. Villa is definitely a yay Halloween and boo Christmas kind of a gal. And if you don't believe me, check out her pictures of the anti-Santa Claus Krumpus costume that she made. She's also a dedicated Nashi fan that has named a star after him at the International Star Registry and also has Paul's name submitted with the NASA Journey to Mars project. Now that's cool. Spanish message boards have the Vila Wolf stamp as well. As she reviewed Nashi films such as Tomb of the Werewolf, which is... A very very funny review by the way and others if you sniff around YouTube you can also see some Nashi fan vids that she made oh and if you are ever in need of a four-leaf clover I have proof that she's a whiz at finding them yes sir so let's all raise our glasses and give a Dodinsky wolf pack toast to Vila Wolf and as I always say all for one and one for Paul so without further delay here is the song that I used as my introduction in its entirety Bloodbound by Hammerfall, off of the 2005 album, Chapter 5, Unbent, Unbound, Unbroken. 
And until next month, my fellow Deniski Wolfpackers, this is your man in the field. A little tired, but it's a good kind of tired. Dan, signing off. See
yeah, so Dan, thank you again for, as always, an awesome segment. Uh, you know, it's amazing that Cleveland, yeah, it's amazing what a rich horror host history they have. And, and besides that, the fact that, you know, the cramps came from there. And I, and I, I believe, isn't that where uh, isn't that where Psychotronic Magazine originated from was Cleveland? Yeah, I, I think, think it may have been, yeah. It's the weird thing. I've, I've always wondered about Cleveland. Is it is it, like... All the weird things that come out of Cleveland that gives it its rep- bad reputation or weird reputation, or is it the fact that it has a bad reputation that attracts all sorts of weirdness to it? I've always wondered what the. You I don't know. know if it's Cleveland <laughs> or if it's just Ohio. Well, true, because Dan's, you, you know, what the weird Dan is, and he's in, he's Columbus, in Columbus. And then, of course, you know, hey, we have plenty of weird friends in Cincinnati, you know, so. Yeah, uh, not going to name any names. Not even. Uh, uh, Tim Lucas. Tim and Tim, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Ohio is just a strange state altogether. It must be something that flows down that river, I think. It must be. Yeah, I, I wonder if it's just that it's, it's far enough north that they're not in Kentucky so they feel safe enough to let it all fly yeah, or, yeah. and not too far north where they feel if they let it all fly it'll freeze off I don't yeah. know <laughs> yeah yeah that's a, it's a strange dichotomy there so uh, oh, by the way I'd like to congratulate Dan on his new addition and by that I mean his, his new guitar, oh, his, new guitar yeah. his new guitar which is so heavy metal I think he's going to have to put a saint between his first and last name now you know like all the classic <laughs> heavy metal bands had someone in the band with saint in the middle there I think he's going to Dan saint yeah, I think that's, I believe so. So, uh, <laughs> oh, I love that. that's a great idea. That's, that's beautiful. Yeah. But anyway, oh, by, by, by the way, earlier yeah. folks, uh, you may have, uh, we, I don't know if, it, if she meowed, but we were briefly joined by, uh, Katie the cat. So, uh, if you did not hear her meow, that's good. Uh, just because she didn't feel the need to announce her presence. She just stormed in and demanded lap. Yeah. So. And, and had to give her love to my recording device as she always does. And I put her scent on my recording device as she, you know, hopefully, Hopefully that has not uh, that has not been picked up by a recording device. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we shall now continue. Okay, who do we want to start with here? Um, yeah, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll go first. Okay, that's okay. We are in the monumental, massive mailbag here. Here we go. Okay, this is from Adam, and he says, "Hi, Troy and Rod. The last time I wrote to you guys, I just discovered your podcast and blown through the first dozen or so episodes and watched the movies that went along with them." Well, I'm still working my way forward and I'm enjoying the hell out of it. As I said in my last email, it's a great way to discover Nashi's work. You're both wonderful guides and it's a lot of fun to listen to your discussions after watching the films. I recently listened to episode 21, gosh, all those years ago, The Beast and the Magic Sword, and found myself agreeing with pretty much everything you said. That movie had so much potential, but so much of it was wasted. Nashi's direction really left something to be desired, and with the Japanese segment seeming pretty Japanese, at least cinematically, it was disappointing that the entire film was in Spanish. Speaking of Nashi as a director, I was definitely not as impressed by El Caminante as you both were. Oh. It's a good film, but I thought it suffered from flat-footed direction. Nashi directed some good films, but I found his technique competent at best. The thing I love about his horror films is how sincere he always was. The material could be ludicrous and pulpy, but Nashi threw himself into it and always sold it. So when he worked with an interesting director like Leon Komlovsky or Carlos Arad, the results could be magical. I don't feel the same way about the films he directed himself. Hmm, interesting. It's so sad when he's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, we've, we've, we've taken Nashi to task for some of his directing in the past, true, too. Very you know, true. Very not with El Comandante. I think we were pretty stoked pretty about that one. Pretty happy with that one, yeah. But yes, I mean, he's, you know, he had to grow into his craft. So, it's, okay, anyway, so Adam continues. Oh, and I don't think this ever came up in the podcast again, so I'm sorry if you got emails about it before this one. But, Rod, I think you were convinced that in El Caminante, Nashi had carved his initial and L on the backside of the young woman. It was definitely an upside-down cross, however, and I've attached a screenshot of the film as a visual aid. I love it when people put screenshots of bare asses in our in our emails. That's one of the joys of the Nashi. Uh, he says, this coincides with the visual of him turning a cross hanging on a wall upside-down with the tip of his rapier. 
You know, so yes, I, if I call that, I think maybe I think I did think it was an upside down cross, and you thought it was an L. But the bottom line is, we will have to go back and examine that young woman's bare posterior okay. closer to uh, to uh, see if this is right could, or not. I think we can get away with that. Yeah. He says, I also wanted to let you know that I've been enjoying the Beyond Nashy episodes as much as the main shows. You have convinced me to give Jess Franco another chance. And after watching, uh, boy, we are guilty of a lot of sins, aren't we? He says, he says, uh, he says, after watching and after watching a virgin among the living dead, the awful Doctor Orloff, and a bunch of other early Franco films, I am sold on the man's unique vision. Good. I revisited Count Dracula, a film I hated on first viewings many years ago, and actually really liked that one too. He says Troy, I really related to your early experiences of watching Franco movies on TV. When you're a young person, you bring certain expectations to watching a horror movie, and Franco's movies do not fit the bill. The pacing is just too weird. And the constant zooms do not agree with pan and scan and lousy prints, you know. And actually, honestly, that can be it's the same can be said about uh, some of like uh, Sergio Leone's films, you know, like the westerns. Even though I certainly recognize them as much better films, I, I love those much more than I did the Franco films. But still, in pan and scan, as much as he zooms in, you know, yeah. it's like yeah, that can sometimes be like really kind of off putting uh, when you're watching it on regular television. Well, you know, I'm, so. I'm trying to remember <clears throat> all those wonderful shots, especially in something like uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah. Of just a character's eyes that fill yeah. the entire wide screen. Right. I'm trying to remember what it was like in pan and scan, oh. just trying to figure out what were we looking what just at. The, what were we looking at? Just the guys, <laughs> the bridge of his nose. Yeah, exactly. There's some rough experiences, but he says. Uh, and Adam finishes here with. Um, I also had the experience of bizarre black bars and shapes covering up the naughty bits on TV. When I first saw Jean Roland's Zombie Lake, it was on a local affiliate, and their method of hiding nudity on what was, I suspect, a European TV print was to throw a black overlay on the entire screen with just a small opening above the naked breast or bare butt. So there's a scene where a woman is running nude away from a zombie and you could only see her head and back like you were looking through a keyhole. It says, ah, the great good old days of UHF. Keep up the good work, fellas. You know, <clears throat> what's funny is uh, that version of uh, Virgin Among the Living Dead was released on videotape back in the late mid to late 90s. With that weird, you know, like, we'll just slap black stuff across oh, yeah. much of the yeah. image to obscure uh-huh. nudity. Mm-hmm. That was that, that was released on video. It was the first time, that was the first way I saw the damn movie. Yeah. I just remembered that. Really? You yeah, saw, wow, that's amazing. It was amazing. hideous. It was just ridiculous. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Insane. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I'm just glad I was saved from ever finding out, finding out what it was, what I had between my legs. You know, I still to this day, thanks to those black bars, do not know what, what, what they're... <laughs> What I have between my my legs, so it's a, it's know, a shame. thank you for thank you TV for thank you for protecting me from you know. <laughs> it's a shame. <laughs> All right. Oh, next. Take one there? Yes. Let's start with uh, the oldest one I have here first. Um, let's see. This is from Mark, or a re- regular correspondent. Regular correspondent, should, Mark. You know, he's. I should, that should just be always the way I say it. He says. Glad to see you finally getting around to covering The Living Dead at Manchester Morgue. This is one of those films that I rewatch every year or so and never get bored with. I think one of the reasons this is such an enjoyable film is that it's so much better than it needs to be. I'm sure the producers would have been happy enough with a by-the-numbers Night of the Living Dead ripoff, but Jorge Grau delivers so much more. The central performance from Ray Lovelock and Christine Galbo are excellent, and even Arthur Kennedy's ripe performance doesn't seem out of place. Ripe. That's a good. That's a good way I thought to describe. That was, that was a nice, yeah. <laughs> right in that Scottish yeah. slash Irish slash something else kind of slash way. Slash yeah. God, what is he supposed to be kind of way? Uh, he says the direction and pacing are spot on, and the location scout surely deserves a big shiny rosette for his sterling work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. the location work is amazing. Fantastic. 
I agree with you that the dubbing is also better than average. Most of the locals have accents, accents that are a fair approximation of a northern English dialect, and even George's over-the-top Cockney brogue is fun enough to be forgiven. Mm -hmm. I first became aware of the film when I overheard some kids talking about it in my primary school playground. This sounds interesting. This is an amazing story. Apparently, the local youth club had started a film club on Friday evenings, and in a move that was either pure genius or child cruelty on a massive scale, the organizers had decided that the best film to show a bunch of 10-year-olds was The Living Dead at Manchester <laughs> oh Morgue. Oh, God. <laughs> Holy hell. That is incredible. <laughs> oh, no one's that lucky. How could you be that way? It's, it's a different country. That's how you got yeah, to yeah. <laughs> He says, furious with myself that I missed out on the bloodbath, not to mention the much-talked-about naked woman at the start of the film. I decided to go, on to, go to the next film night. Uh, I decided to go to the next film night. Armed with the, my letter of permission from my mom, I eagerly queued up to watch that week's offering, which unbelievably turned out to be barren blood. <laughs> Oh, man. I can oh, man. still remember running all the way home for fear oh, that the Baron I, would jump out from the bushes no and shit, kill me. Man, that had to be that had to be Holy traumatizing shit. to see as a kid, man. <laughs> That's awesome because it is awesome. Baron Blood has a as a child menaced by the yeah. villain in the yeah. piece. That's yeah. hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> oh my lord! He said, "I did notice one Nashy connection in this film in the uh, Living Dead at Manchester Morgue. Fernando Hilbeck, aka Guthrie the Looney." can be seen in Howl of the Devil. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I think he plays a priest. Oh. He also turns up in Amando Diasario's Demon Witch Child. Huh. Well, I, well, thank you, Mark. Now I don't feel so bad. We were like, you know, we were huh. thought we had put forth a banana beyond Nashi that had no Nashi connection, but uh, maybe he saved us from embarrassment. I mean, should should we feel bad because we didn't glom onto it? I mean, you know, a little bit, but I think I'd feel worse if I if I if I really still thought that we had totally lied to everybody that we were doing it, that it was a beyond Nashi and it was not yeah. well it was a beyond Nashi well, it, was it was way, way beyond, beyond Nashi so much so that it had no connection with Nashi whatsoever <laughs> but maybe he's found one for us and so uh, well, let's see I don't know how in the world he made that connection because I sure as hell would have never noticed that uh, I'll be damned he's right yep Fernando there it Hillback. is Fernand, Fernando Hillback I'll be damned I will yeah. be damned you're right he's yeah. there all righty. Well, there. Well, See? there. So there. There. <laughs> See, do we know our stuff or not? <laughs> no, we don't know our no, stuff. We, don't. we just no. proved it. Oh, <laughs> <sighs> All the best, Mark. Uh, that's it. That's our an, instincts. That, our instincts told us it was a our nasty instincts were dead yeah. on, of yeah. course. <laughs> Thank you once again, Mark. Yeah, no, no, that's again. I'm always amazed at, at what people got to see uh, at public like forums like school and churches when they were growing up whereas oh, I, I think I've, I think I've probably said on the show before but literally the only two things I ever got to see my entire life growing up either through school or church or any kind of public film like that shown you know well really none in church but with school you know it was two times I guess it was like one was the Doberman gang you know whole thing <laughs> and the other one was War Gods of, it, of, of the Deep you know was the, uh, with the Doug McClure you know the <laughs> when I was uh, when I was in high school for the 11th and 12th grade, I transferred from the uh, the high school I've been going to, which was actually a boarding school, to mm. uh, a public high school. And uh, that, trust me, there are lots of stories to tell there, folks. They're just <laughs> not really built for a podcast on Spanish horror. <laughs> American yeah. teenage horror, maybe. But, yeah. but uh, what uh, the the legendary story? Uh, they would once a year they would show a movie in mm. the uh, in the gym for the school, and. Uh, I, I cannot even tell you what it ever whatever it was that was shown the mm. two years I was in the school, but 
whatever it was, I know it had to be so blanded down because the story was that the previous year they had completely screwed up and oh. not realized they screwed up. Oh. They got the, uh, the the spaghetti western, the the stranger and the gunfighter with Lee Van Cleef, oh. which involves a map being tattooed on a lot of prostitutes' butts. <laughs> I love it. And so <laughs> no one knew this, apparently, and they screened this for a bunch of high school kids. So apparently that went over like a lead balloon. Oh, boy. So. <laughs> Sweet. I love it. Yep, yep, yep. All right. So I'm moving here. Here's one from Michael. And he says, Howdy, I've been listening to your podcast for a bit now and enjoying myself. Though I didn't begin to appreciate Paul Nash's contributions to the horror genre until recently, I really do quite enjoy his films. That leads me to my question. What would you say are the ten most common tropes of the Spanish, specifically Nashi Spanish horror films? For example, in general, would you say they are as nihilistic as many Italian films? I'd love to hear Troy and Rod discuss the question of common tropes and cliches related to Nashi's film, but again, how are they subverted and made new? Anyway, thanks for a very interesting podcast, Michael. Michael, thank you for the question. I, you've almost that's um, overall you've almost talked about a subject of a whole episode in itself. Yeah. However. It is, it is it is something we've touched on, yeah. especially in the first, I'd say, two years of the podcast. Yeah, and and you're right. There's tons of things discussed there. I'll just, because, just for time's sake, what I did, just kind of thinking about his, 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 I did sort of come up with a short little thing, because what he asks are, what are the ten most common tropes of Spanish, specifically Nashi Spanish horror films, and the whole question of, are they as nihilistic as many Italian films? I would say his non-supernatural films, that are still considered horror very much so. I mean, we know yes. how nihilistic Nashi can be. However, what I decided to kind of focus on briefly is kind of just the supernatural horror films. Right. You know, the El Hombre Lobo films, you know, uh, even something like Hunchback of the Morgue, uh, Horror Rises from the Tomb. Horror Rises from the Tomb is probably the most nihilistic of his supernatural horror films, but I still think that it doesn't go as to the extremes that something like Panic Beats does, you know, as far as what right. it says about human nature. So I just came up with a quick little list here and not to spend a huge amount of time on this, but I think that when you get to Nashi's Spanish, his supernatural films, I think uh, definitely a pronounced romanticism, you know. Of course. People fall in love quickly. They fall in love all the way in these films. It's very much the, it's, the it's, idea of love conquering all is, 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 is very strong. You fall, you fall in love Quickly and deeply, mm-hmm. they they go hand in hand. It's mm-hmm. it's a very it's a very very hot kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, in general, good prevails. Now, there's very often prevails at a cost. You know, sometimes everybody in the film is dead by the end of the film, but one way or the other, somehow or another, you know, good you know good the forces triumphs. of right justice yeah. usually do triumph over the evil, uh, which can definitely not be said about his <laughs> some of his other films. You know, that's but. Um, I came up with a couple of different things that I sort of boiled down to basically just the essence of there's a constant clash of old world versus new. You know, the yes. old world is ignorant, dangerous, borderline, you know, criminal, you know, as far as the villagers and borderline they're kind of like... Borderline psychopathic. Yeah, I mean. uh, but the modern characters are very often kind of represent arrogance and modern decadence, and so they get into uh, an old world or supernatural situation, and they're totally out of their league, you know, they're totally... Um, powerless against the forces of the old world, you know, so it's kind of like he, Nashi seems a lot of times, I think there's a sense of him being kind of torn between both worlds, you know, it's kind of maybe critical of both, and at the same time maybe well, kind of defensive of both not, too. Not to, not to go too academic, but the thing right. you're discussing there, the way, the way I would come at it would be, and uh, this this may seem odd, but uh, stick with me for a second, is mm-hmm. uh, cold versus hot. Hot being the old world, the, the mm-hmm. kind of a reactionary, mm-hmm. uh, almost... Um, as I said, almost psychopathic 
uh, clinging to old ways, mm-hmm. the 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 old world, the the the, the mm-hmm. traditions, the the essentially the past. Yeah. Whereas, the uh, strangely enough, the cold end of the spectrum being the the modern world, mm-hmm. a kind of detached nature, mm-hmm. an attempt to be emotionless, to be logical, and to oh, come right, at sure. things in a yeah. different way. And it it, it always you and, and and especially in the werewolf films, you can often see well actually. Horror Rises from the Tomb is a good indication mm-hmm. of that too, where you have mm-hmm. these two things warring with each other and coming together and not creating what you would hope would be a, a, mm-hmm. a, a nice medium. In other words, mm-hmm. a cooling of the hotness uh, into something that is merely warm or that, that comes together in some kind of constructive way, but something where those two things come together and it's an explosion. It's a, it's a, it's a bad combination yeah. that, that causes pain and, disuffer- pain and suffering on everyone's part. So I think that one of the, the, the neater things about this is that whether he even thought in those terms, and to be honest, there's a lot of evidence that he probably did, what you're talking about is that old world versus new world dichotomy that turns up again and again in these stories is one of the great things about his construction of what the main characters go through. Mm -hmm. And you can see how often certain characters representative of old and old or new and their, their conflict within the story is often mirrored in kind of the, the the more broad stroke idea that he's putting forth with these kind of symbolic characters at times. And so one of the neater things to me is that that carries through uh, almost all of his horror movies. Yeah. And it, and it can be a little difficult to spot at times once you move into the crime movies. Mm-hmm. Because in the crime movies, um, well, let me back up and say that there's a big difference between the crime movies that Nashi made. Yeah. And say the crime movies that were that were turned out in Italy. Okay. And I think that that mm-hmm. can be, I think that it's instructive to look at that as a difference between um, the cultures they were produced in. Spanish mm-hmm. crime movies... Mm-hmm are a good deal more like French crime movies. Okay, yeah. Whereas Italian crime movies, especially those talking about the ones produced in the 70s, mm-hmm. are much more violent, visceral, mean-spirited, yeah. cruel, and harsh, and much more political because of the incredibly hard... Uh, th- th- there, was, there was a lot of turmoil in Italy in the 70s, a lot of political uh, corruption coming to light, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, protesting and a lot of revolutionary movements... And uh, there was a lot of violence that broke out into the streets repeatedly, which caused a lot of... It, it bled not just into the crime films, but it's one of the things that I think culturally turned the horror films that Italy produced in the 70s and 80s into such nasty, mean-spirited, yeah. nihilistic things. Mm-hmm. Because the, the, the culture that those people were living in was so harsh at the time. There was so much fear. There was so much anger being just presented to them daily, 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 daily. Mm-hmm. Over and over again, so much revolutionary action, so many, uh, so many uh, horrible. Ter- I mean, it was it was a t- it was a time of horrible terrorist action, mm-hmm. and there was some of that. I'm talking about Etta, of course, there was right, some of sure. that in Spain, yeah, right? But it was a different culture, and it was handled differently. Mm-hmm. It was very much looked at in a different way. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like it was boiling over in the streets. Yeah, in Italy, it was boiling over in the streets, and I think that that's one of the reasons why you could have someone like Paul Nashi come through. Uh, come up in Spain and become a creator of monster films yeah. where you did not get somebody in Italy who, yeah. you know, was influenced by universal horror films sure. to make horror movies that were primarily monster films. Yeah. What you got were people who started making 
nasty gore films. Yeah. And not yeah. just because they looked at something like Dawn of the Dead and saw it as a template and a way to move forward and to make a lot of money, you know, it's, it's exploitive yeah. cinema, of course, mm -hmm. but because the cultures these types of films came out of were very different. Yeah. And um, like I say, there's a there's a joy to say a French crime film because they're 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 cold mm -hmm. and detached mm -hmm. and the emotions that you get from them you only get over the course of the entire film. There's a payoff mm -hmm. in something mm -hmm. like uh, the Red Circle, mm -hmm. or uh, I mean even stretching back to French crime films like uh, Hands Off the Cash from the nineteen nineteen fifties and the things that were produced in the sixties. But it's mm -hmm. you can something like Le Samurai or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. There's this detached feeling you get from them that you'd never get from an Italian crime film. Hmm. And Yeah, I can uh, interesting. I never thought that you're right. I can totally see those those divisions there. I think I may have just gone off on No, that was uh, very that was that was uh, great. Uh, that was uh, that a was rant very there that had very little to do with what he was going through. No, for. no, but it's well, no, but that that was very no, I think that that was very well said though. Very interesting. And I've just real quickly, I'll just hit a few of these others I put up oh, okay. com, yeah. convoluted mythology and and ritual. Oh god, yes. You know, is pretty much a part of most all of his, you know, horror films is there's mm -hmm. there's and, and a lot of it he in just kind of there are always these rules, these, yeah. these mythological rules. Mm -hmm. And they may change from uh, movie to movie, mm -hmm. <coughs> scene to scene. <laughs> I was I was going to say scene to scene, but uh, but they are very important to his stories, you know, yeah. and 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 probably they all have some basis in some sort of mythology he's read, you know, but he sort of picks the ingredients he needs to make his story, you know, go. And uh, now here here I had to say this with we can't say this with a straight face. We know everybody will know what we're talking about. Uh, uh, flexible time passage in his, in his films as far as, you know, uh, 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 sometimes a little hard to get a sense of how much time is passing between, you know, because you suddenly get seven full moons within, you know, so within that it kind of plays fast and loose with the uh, time as I think is definitely something you see commonly in Nash's films. Um, I just kind of threw sex and gore in together. I mean, obviously there's a pronounced, there's a, there's a, a lot of sexuality and not, but definitely not gore. Like you're talking about the extreme of how nasty it got in the Italian cinema, yeah, but ne you know, never, but, never that vicious. And, uh, and last thing I got here is, is it, it's kind of a, kind of almost a visual representation of what we talked about. The dichotomy between old world and new is while he's putting in this sex and gore, there's also, he strived very often for a kind of classic horror atmosphere because of his influence from the Universal films. I think there's so much of that in his supernatural horror films. So that's another yeah. trope is a, a very def, very definite gothic atmosphere. So so that's just kind of what I came up with as a, as a quick, uh, you know, uh, because like I said, the questions he asked, we could easily do a whole episode on the, on that question. But, I just, sure. uh, but hopefully I, I gave you a little bit of what you're looking for there, Michael. And thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for writing. And I believe we have one more... Uh, one more Mailbag yes, message there. Let's see. Um, da, 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 da. Oh, this is a mixture of, uh, of things here. What we have, This is from uh, K.R. Joy? Yeah, K.R. I think is what he goes by there, I believe. All I right, K.R. Let's, let's talk here. He says, uh, Rod and Troy, nice try with the Godzilla, Godzilla movie review. Not sure how this relates to Spanish horror, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, you well listen, hey, maybe hey, you enjoyed the intro of this episode. <laughs> I also... <laughs> I also share Troy's admiration for giant kaiju movies, old and new. I kind of question why uh, why start with an all monsters attack movie over one of the earlier, more fundamentally more serious examples. I guess you need to start somewhere. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't, yeah, I, yeah, I don't think you. I, I think maybe he didn't quite catch what our what uh what the theme of uh, our podcasts are. So we'll go back over it again. But go ahead and finish with this. Okay, he says, uh, blah, 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 where do you? If you continue on the kaiju track, I would like to suggest my favorites, the Frankenstein-related movies, War of the Gargantuas and Frankenstein Conquers the World. Yes. Those are awesome. 
Uh, these are very well done, in my opinion, offshoots of the Godzilla franchise. Uh, stop there and say, uh, I still have not watched War of the Gargantuas. Oh, you've not? Okay. No, no and, I have uh, not. Uh, oh, Frankenstein Conquers the World, I have course, watched. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think I even did a pretty lengthy review. I think you did. Yeah, I remember you did. For, yeah. Love, uh, love Frankenstein Conquers the World. Mad, insane piece of oh, batshit cinema it's that nuts. it is. Um, I could see us doing a single podcast sometime in the future, after we get the controversial kaiju thing out of the way, of those two films, because mm-hmm. it would push me to finally see where the gargantuas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, Frankenstein Conquers the World is uh, completely beautiful and completely insane. It is. So... I, uh, that's not a bad idea. I can see that happening. Mm-hmm. I can see that. He says, another area that I would love to see your unique spins on, and uh, you've discussed this before, are Jess Franco's series of Dr. Orloff films. In my opinion, these films carry similar historical horror significance to the Blind Dead series. These are some of the best period horror flicks produced by Franco. Please consider them, as you know there are many Franco film fans out there. Again, you two have a great gift for podcasting and work very well together. Looking forward to more great Nashi casts in the future. Sincerely, thank you very much. Um, the idea of tackling the entire Doctor Orloff series makes my, uh, <laughs> my makes my googly scrunch up. <laughs> I probably have to get you to like. I mean, label exactly which of those films like like uh, are specifically. I know some of them, but uh, there's probably okay, that's, a bunch that's that where I don't the even realize. Yeah, it's like what really fits into. Yeah. What I would have to do is just essentially call Tim Lucas and say, yeah, okay, yeah, if someone know, were yeah. to say, want to line up all the mm. Jess Franco Orloff films, because here's the, here's where the problem comes in, mm. is that a number of those, a number of the films that are known as Orloff films were not originally shot as Orloff films and were simply turned into that via a title change or it's, it's a like, It's like the Tam- Django, it's like the Django films, you right, know, it's right. like the films that were originally just called Django because, yeah, or, or the Peplum films that were called Hercules when it was like Machista or something. Yeah, was, yeah exactly. Exactly. Instead of Machi- instead of Machiste, they've turned it into Hercules because it would yeah. sell better in you yeah. know in the English speaking world if that's what it was called. Yeah. Um, so first, it would have to be we need a definitive list, mm-hmm. and if we got a definitive list and the list was I was let's say less than ten films long, that could be fun. We could yeah, we could, I could actually I could, dive I could honestly I could yeah, honestly yeah, sure. see tackling that. Yeah, it's not about uh, that. Would be a blast. I mean, we've already covered the Alpha. We did do the off, yeah, so main film. We started yeah. it, we started at the Genesis, so mm-hmm. it's not that hard to do. Um, we could we that that would be kind of fun. That's a neat. That's another neat idea. Mm-hmm. And I have then, to admit. And uh, just readdressing what he originally said is that what I meant was when I said I'm not sure if it, well maybe oh, oh, it's, it's a, because it sounds like he's thinking that we're going to oh we're not going cover all, all the Godzilla, the Godzilla films, right? you know yeah. believe me I could you know and if and hey if you all want us to keep going after you know you, you know I'll do it but I think again we were trying to because Godzilla unlike Nashi as we said Godzilla is a subject that. You know, with Nashi, it was an obscure enough subject that it was okay to go film by film and try and discuss them all. With the, I think with the Godzilla series, it has been so examined and discussed so much and continues yeah. to be that we weren't really going to try and cover every Godzilla film. We were going to, our plan is to cover the maybe four or five Godzilla films that are the most divisive or the most unusual in the series, the most controversial, you know, that weirdest, whatever, you know. There's like certain ones that I have in mind. And and that's kind of why we started. Yeah, we would definitely not have started a regular Godzilla series, probably with All Monsters Attack. But no, it was simply no. because of its nature, of of the way that it is so disliked and it is so odd, such an odd film. You know, was kind of, and and was the first film in the series to do a lot of the things that it did. Is kind of why we picked that one. And so right now we're looking at this as probably a four or five part series to go over the next year. And again, 
I could, you know, if, if, if it's popular enough and people want to hear us talk more about Kaiju, then we can certainly find other themes. And he brought up well, the one he suggested is a great one. You know, I could see us maybe doing shows on non-Godzilla films such as Matango, Space Amoeba, you know, uh, Atragon, oh, things like that yes. that maybe aren't the, the Godzilla films which have been just discussed at such great length. But, uh, but, uh, but yeah, uh, you don't have to strap me down too tightly to make me talk about Godzilla at any time. So, uh, so yeah, I will, t- I will do it as much as, uh, as much as y'all like to hear. So, uh, but yeah, thanks for the email and thanks for the suggestions. So, and I, yeah, I, I very much like the idea. First, first, both like both those mm-hmm. ideas he threw out there, and it's not, um, man, if it's just not mm-hmm. enough podcasting hours in the day. I know, yeah, but yeah, but especially if you haven't seen War of the Gargantuas, we definitely that would be a good excuse to make you because you would. I that is, I think a, I have it. Yeah. Do I have it? You I probably have it on that Rodan War of the Gargantuas yes. double feature that Classic yes. Media put out. I think know. I think yeah. I do have that. Yes, you're yeah. right. So um, that's an interesting mm. concept. And, I, and and yes, I know uh, it it could have it may have thrown some people off, and if they didn't want to uh, listen to the podcast, that's for sure. Mainly because uh, I did just drop the uh, the Bloody Pit episode of us mm. doing mm-hmm. All Monsters Attack into the uh, the Nashi cast feed but it's mainly just because I was like well we're not giving you guys an episode in November I want to mm-hmm, you know I want sure. something to, I want something to drop in that 30 day period so that it, you know that, mm-hmm. you know we're still alive and out, alive out here and you know yeah. the, the 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 bloody pit has it has its own uh, God only knows what'll happen next kind of vibe to it mm-hmm. and I don't want the Nashi cast feed to turn into that but hey, yeah, yeah, I have I have, done, I have I have dropped the occasional bloody pit episode yeah, into well, the feed. So well, we do definitely hope that any people listening to the Nashi Cast, it's always great if they will pop over to you know check out the, yeah. the side kind of uh, you know podcast that we do and check out the bloody pit episodes and uh, you know and again you know of course it's just as we're you know getting to fewer and fewer Nashi films we we we've kind of spread them out more and so we're kind of you know we are basically our idea is we'll give you something we try and give you something every month you know and that's that's with our crazy yeah. lives and crazy schedules that's about the best we can do but we try and try and give you try not to go a month without without throwing something out there too and i guess on that note we could probably talk about what's coming, oh, what's up, coming next up next well next is uh you may not have this may not have escaped your notice but yes. uh, this is episode 49 right next episode will be what is it again I believe that would be the big 5-0. You're right. 5-0, a half century of Nashi Cast. No, <laughs> Which is not quite accurate. It's no. the 50th anniversary. No, <laughs> it's not the 50th anniversary, no. you stupid bastards. <laughs> it's our silver episode. We'll call it that, our silver. But for episode 50, we are going to uh, finally do a... I guess it's what, our golden it? episode. It'd be our golden one, wouldn't it? it would I don't know. Be golden. I don't 50, anyway, 25 yeah. would be silver. Fuck, why are we saying this? Anyway, know. it doesn't matter. Who cares? Who <laughs> cares? It doesn't matter. <laughs> Uh, we have been holding off on covering this one particular film uh, almost from year one. Yeah, we kind of <laughs> knew we were going to hit. We we're going to save this one for a special occasion. Definitely. And so, for episode fifty, we're going to cover uh, Rojo Sangre from mm-hmm. two thousand four, mm-hmm. uh, the movie that very, very succinctly wraps up into a beautiful bow Paul Nashi's career and Paul Nashi's persona as a screen legend. Um, beautifully, it does so beautifully. Uh, Rojo Sangre is um, just a fantastic film, and, and it's uh, one that hopefully most of you can get your hands on and see because a, it's quite good, mm-hmm. and b, it's what we're covering next yeah, month. Yeah, the, so. the DVD can still be had for a, for a good price, you know. So yeah. So uh, if you uh, if you will do a quick search, I think you can find it. It is well worth getting mm-hmm. your grubby mitts on. You and I sat down and watched the film mm-hmm. for the very first time together. We did years uh, when before it came we knew out we were going to actually do a Nashi cast, and we were just yeah. kind of we were kind of just had a habit of getting together and watching Nashi films, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, 
Those days are long past. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, now we can't. Now we can't ruin the experience by watching them together. We have to actually. <laughs> no, exactly. Now we have to to watch them separate, so we don't know what we thought of them. You know, so that that's right. We can't. We can't screw can't things up. Away. But that is what led to it because uh, we, you know if we wanted to watch a Nashi film and the, you each other were, we were the only ones that we knew who we would, were, we would yeah, watch yeah. it. We <laughs> would sit down and watch it together. So uh, so next month, uh, strap in people because yeah. we're going to roll our way through Rojo Sangre and uh, we hope you will be able to join us yes. because uh, wow, it should be uh, it should be a blast. be good times. Oh yeah, I'm, I haven't watched this movie in a few years. I haven't either. I haven't either. I've, I've been, yeah, and certainly not since we started the podcast. You know, because yeah. I knew that we would be hitting yeah. it at some point. So uh, it's been been a few years. Been holding off. Been yep. holding off. So, um, just like to say, by the way, uh, anybody, uh, we'd like to remind everybody uh, several different things. You can get hold of us uh, at. <laughs> at nashicast at gmail.com or you can visit us over on the Facebook page anytime you would like. Uh, please drop us a line. Let us know your thoughts, um, your demands, your concepts and ideas for possible future podcasts. What the hell we'll do down near anything. If John Hudson and I can sit down and do Assault on Precinct 13, mm-hmm. trust mm-hmm. me, and, we're, and, we're, we're open to all kinds of stuff. And y'all need to hear that. It's a great episode. Oh, and, thank you very and, uh, much. And full of some awesome, awesome... Uh, information especially regarding kim richards and we'll just leave it at that <laughs> we just leave, leave it at that, that. Yeah. Tough turf. Yeah. but nevertheless thanks uh thanks very much also like to remark that it, uh we would be uh, very happy for any uh reviews or ratings over in the itunes store if you're willing and if you're really feeling generous this christmas season you can hit that donate button on the side of the nashi cast or the bloody pit of rod uh, uh blog page and uh Send a few shekels our way. Send us a dollar. Send us ten dollars. Send us seven hundred seventy-three dollars. That's just a number I pulled out of my ass. It's not relating to any bill that I might currently have. Trust me. <laughs> so please remember, it's that time of year. Give to those who give to you. That's right. And click the donate button and give the Nashi Cast some money to help with hosting. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, and uh, if nothing else, just say thanks to us for putting the vagabond theme song in your head. <laughs> you'll hear that as you as you don't as you give gifts to <laughs> yes. your loved ones this Christmas. You'll hear that song in your head. It's it's strange. I have no idea. I can't remember now what because I think the the subtitles actually got got to, the subtitles actually did go through the song. Oh yeah. Oh, oh that's oh, right. That's oh, right. They're, they're all, That's right. <laughs> oh yeah. So it's not it's not really a Christmas song, but now I will forever associate this <laughs> this song that I can barely comprehend. It's right so. up there with Hooray for Santa Claus, you know, the uh the Santa Claus. Yeah. Oh God, you're right. And that's now stuck in my head, you sorry bastard. <laughs> you and you haven't watched that yet this season? You haven't done your season of watching no, no, Santa no, Claus. But I, I have uh, I have watched the Grinch. Uh I did uh I did watch Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, which oh, I dearly love. Oh, good one, good one. Very, very good one. Love that one. And I think uh, before I uh, head off to bed tonight, I may watch uh, the Mickey's Christmas Carol. Yeah, uh, good choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember how long it's been since I've seen that one. It's been so long, I can't remember yeah, specifics of it. I feel it, like so. I watched it maybe even last, with someone in the last couple of years I watched it, I know. Okay, all right. But, uh, oh, one of the neater things that I got my hands on is this cheap DVD that Disney put out like 10 plus years ago um, that is a sing-along. It's, it's obviously for kids. It's a sing-along. It's like 45 minutes long sing-along of Christmas music. And, it, and, the, and the images they illustrate with are all from Disney animated films. Oh, cool. Both shorts and, nice. and, and features. And um, it's really well done. Oh, nice. And cool. uh, it's, it's like, like I said, it's only about 45 minutes long, but, and I think I paid like five bucks for the disc, mm-hmm. and it's just like, I, 
really in the Christmas spirit. I'm going to do this. And there, you know, it was, it was really well worth it. I have to admit. But we're turning into real schlubs on this, uh, you know, on this, on this show. Everybody's getting disappointed in us. And I was like, they, you know, promise, we promise you in January, we'll be back to the blood and guts, you know, but right now we're just, a <laughs> there's no way to not be in the blood and guts with Rojo Sangre. Yeah, that's so. right. All right, folks, we'll, we'll, we'll let it rest there. Thank you very much for listening. Donate. If you can review us on iTunes, if you would, and write us at nashicast at gmail.com. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. Bye now. Siempre estoy contento con mi niño que le quiero solo a él, solo a él, mi querer. Cantando y tocando por las calles y los metros puede ser, puede ser un placer. Ya no ansío nada de lo que las gentes buscan, solo a él, solo a él, mi querer. Que si no le gusta mi presencia, yo lo siento, no podré, no podré nada hacer. Cuando me levanto le doy gracias al Señor por vivir, por vivir para Él. Hago el desayuno, después limpio bien la casa y me voy, y me voy yo con Él. Caminamos siempre disfrutando de la vida junto a Él, junto a Él, junto a Él. Yo te quiero tanto mi pequeña criatura que sin ti, que sin ti nada sé. Yo en mi vida solo un deseo muy grande y es ganar, y es ganar para él. Llevarla a la escuela.